Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Because you know what? How are you going to feel? When you wake up one Monday morning and they say, oh, by the way, we've decided that uh, all the money you had in your account is uh, we're taking it because the bank needed it to uh, do something. So you can only have a quarter of what you had. Folks, you might think, well, that's just crazy talk. Really? It is crazy talk. But you know what? It's the law. That's right. It's the law, folks. A bank can use your deposit as their own capital, which means they can take your deposits and use it for whatever they deem is necessary for their bank. Feel good yet? Anyway, I'll be back again tonight. We got a full day coming up. Financial survival's next. Don't go anywhere. And as always, thanks for listening.
Save the most recent 1,000. Delete all the rest of them. You're never going to read them. But don't try to tell me otherwise. We're I on. We're I'll on. never read the We're on, and we didn't hear any music. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you <laughs> our opinion and... Oh, Melody, we're on now, is that right? Oh, that's what he said, so great notice. Opening them. (laughs) Uh, It's Monday, March 2nd, 2000. Afternoon, Al. I think oh, I already Ollie. said that. Yep, and I already said hello. <laughs> that throws you off if you don't find me. But I know professional it's... that we are, let's go ahead. Silver down 25 at 16. Medium has just taken a. Today, up paper markets were just happy for some reason today. The market report today. Now, the Dow up 155 points, 18,288. You have the NASDAQ. Closed up over 5,000 at 44.57. The S&P is up 12 at 21.17. And you have the 10-year yield up 0.08 at 2.08%. Euro took another hit today, down 0.12 at 1.12. And I guess this is all on the backs of China. I saw earlier today that China decided to cut their rates one more time. That's the only other thing I could see why... uh, Markets did what they did. The, the, the Asian markets were just up slight. It's just up slight. Germany was up, you know, eight points. Hong Kong was up 64 points. Japan, Nikkei was up 28. So, no big moves there except in the uh, U.S. markets. And maybe the markets are just happy based on all the discussions of this presidential people. Had their meetings this weekend, the CPAC meeting this weekend. Or, <laughs> maybe they're all going to ride on the same airplane. One or them. maybe it's because Netanyahu. Or it's for, for, uh, or Netanyahu. Optimism. Because Netanyahu is here. Well, I doubt that Netanyahu has inspired everybody. I can't that. imagine. Here's talking about this. NASDAQ composite and this is from Bloomberg. NASDAQ Composite Index reaches 5,000 for the first time since 2000. U.S. stocks rose, briefly sending NASDAQ Composite Index above 5,000 for the first time in 15 years. Treasury slumped in the dollar advance. Standard & Poor's 500 Index climbed four-tenths of a percent at 2.02 p.m. in New York, led by consumer discretionary companies. 
yield on 10-year treasuries, rose seven basis points. Bloomberg dollar spot gained three-tenths of a percent. Oil in New York climbed to seven-tenths of a percent. Yuan fell to a two-year low as China cut interest rates. The NASDAQ briefly surpassed a level it has exceeded only on seven other days, all of them in March of 2000. It's interesting that it broke mm -hmm. the 5,000 barrier in March of 2000, and once again, it's breaking the 5,000 barrier in March of 2015. In 2000, if I understand correctly, this was an extraordinary achievement for the NASDAQ to break 2000. It had been about 2,500 six months earlier, and before the end of the year in 2000, it had fallen back to 2,500 or thereabouts. So we were looking at a real bubble back then. And I doubt that this is a different time. 5,000 is different today than it was back in March. This is not evidence that the NASDAQ is going to necessarily fall. And, you know, it went up, broke 5,000 again, and now we're going to see a big collapse. Well, no, probably not. I don't think that's going to happen. But here's an interesting article that goes along with this and some of the things you were saying when you opened the program up and you're giving the market reports and, you've, and, and you're saying, I don't know why you say, well, I don't know why the markets went up today. Right? And here's an article. Well, I know why, but... You know, nevertheless, you said... I know why, but... It's tonight, it's on the recording. Usually... Frank, replay the recording so we can verify that Melody said... Okay, don't bother doing it. Um, but here's where I'm going with this. This is an article from ZeroHedge.com, and the headline is, X-Plunge Protection Team Whistleblower. Governments control markets. There is no price discovery anymore. Now, this is an interesting point, and I think the woman who made this point is exactly right. Um, I hadn't thought of it before. I don't know of anyone else who has, and yet I think she's exactly right. The, she's claiming, and what's her name? Uh, Dr. Fipa Mal, Malmgren, a former member of the U.S. President's uh, Working Group on Financial Markets. She was in the plunge protection team. says it's not a conspiracy theory, but a conspiracy fact. There's no price discovery anymore by the market. Governments impose prices on the markets. And what she's saying, and she's saying that the, uh, the government has effectively taken over all of the markets, and they're setting the prices you know, by various devices. Now, fundamental purpose of markets is to find what is the price of a particular commodity, a particular metal, a particular automobile, a particular airplane. We find out what people are willing to pay for them, and that tells us how to conduct our own affairs. If, if we're making airplanes, for example, and it turns out we're thinking about selling these airplanes for half a million dollars each, pay a million dollars a piece for them. The market tells us, and it tells the rest of the world what the real value of our airplanes is. Likewise, the markets could come back and say, I'm not going to buy one of those airplanes. I'm not going to pay more than a quarter million dollars. That thing is junk. Well, that's another way where the markets are telling us what the real price of that airplane is. I can make airplanes, 
and I can go out and I can charge a billion dollars a piece for them. But I can't necessarily get that billion dollars unless the markets say, yeah, that, that's a heck of an aircraft. We can pay a billion dollars for that. The purpose, which, you know, what I'm trying to illustrate is it's easy for a manufacturer to set a price for his product, and that price might be too high, it might be too low. You don't know what the price is until the market says yes, no, maybe, and the free market establishes a price. And based on that, let's suppose I'm making airplanes, I want to sell them for half a million dollars a piece, and the market says, we ain't going to pay a nickel over a quarter million. Well, it's time for me to stop making airplanes. Maybe I should go back to making bicycles, or uh, who knows what. You understand? But the markets tell us, they give us a system of values where we can decide whether we should make more airplanes or not make more airplanes, right? or find a more efficient way of making more airplanes, or raise the price. The markets give us that guidance, and we can rely on that, although it's in a constant state of flux, we can generally rely on that to tell us what to do. Shall I make more airplanes or shall I make less? The market tells us that. But when the government moves into the market, now the government is telling some place, some people that your airplane that you're charging a half a million dollars for is actually worth $5 million. President Obama likes some of these aircraft manufacturers. Ah, let's give them, let's give them, let's give them $5 million. Dislikes others and say, ah, I cut that price down to a quarter million. Well, without accurate price discovery, without the free market, it distorts the economy. We have people that are making lousy airplanes that are selling them for $5 million a piece because the government has ruled in this, in this hypothetical example. The government says, these planes are worth $5 million. Well, we put resources into that. Nobody wants the plane. And yet the price is super high. This is the, this is the problem with central planning. It's one of the reasons the Soviet Union collapsed. In the end, the brilliant bureaucrats, they would set the prices. They would decide whether to make a million shoes or 500 million shoes. And they frequently chose to make 500 million shoes. The comfort that the nation didn't need. So the Union didn't need 500 million. The distortions, we were allocating resources, resources that should have gone maybe into medical care were going into the manufacture of shoes. The result was the, the the mortality rate increased. More people were dying. They weren't getting enough health care. They had more shoes than they knew what to do with. The free market will presumably correct these kinds of distortions and keep us running at maximum efficiency. And that's why we want the free market. And what this lady, uh, again, Dr. Pippa Malmgren, she's saying, look, the governments have taken over the markets. There is no price discovery anymore. Without the free market to set those prices and tell us what to do, we are left to wander around. You know, like sheep, what shall we do? Should we make more? Shall we make less? Shall we make this? Shall we make that? What shall we do? We don't have reliable price discovery. So... For me, this is part of the reason why Melody says earlier in the program, I don't know why the markets went up today. Well, it's apparently because someone, if if, if Ms. Melgram 
uh, is correct, it's because the government said, well, let's make a markets club 150 points a day. What do you say? So, yeah, yeah, 150. Good, let's do 150. Where are we? What does that tell us? It doesn't tell us anything except government wants the price to go higher. We don't know if that's real. Is that based on objective reality, wishful thinking? What? And, you know, you look at this, and it's again like driving a car. Got somebody who's steering to the left, to the right. They're blind, doesn't know. We don't know. It should the car, where's the road going? We don't know where the real road is. We just know that somebody is there at central planning and says, steer left, steer right, go faster, go slower, and they don't know where the real road is. We have to look at that and consider this is probably going to lead to a crack-up. You know, so in any case, there's my there's my take on it, and I agree with Ms. Malgum, uh, Mel, Melmgren, Dr. Melmgren. Uh, there's no price discovery anymore, not by the free market. That has to contribute to confusion, and confusion has to contribute to misallocation of resources, and that misallocation of resources, I mean, it inevitably leads to some sort of a crack-up. In the case of the Soviet Union, which was beset by central planning for, I don't know, 60, 80 years, however long it lasted, it eventually just reached the point where the central planning just collapsed the whole Soviet Union. The clowns in the, in the in the Kremlin were not bright enough. They thought they were. It was great to think you're smart enough to run the whole economy, but they weren't bright enough to do it. And I doubt that the clowns in Washington, D.C. are any smarter than the clowns in central planning at the Soviet Union. So I sit back from my perspective. I look at this, and for me, this is another sign where you sit back and say, okay, Price of gold twelve hundred dollars an ounce. I think the real price should be two thousand or three thousand or God knows what it should be. I think it should be enormously higher, but it's not. So what do you do? My opinion is sit back and say, Well, I'm betting that central planning will fail. It's gonna have to go back to the free market. I'm betting that when we do the price of gold is gonna just fly through the air. It's going to go up, 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 and up. To me, this is, to me, this is like reading history. We just don't know, and I don't know when it's going to happen. But I don't believe it's going to be 50 years or 20 years or even 10 years from now. I'm going to be surprised if it doesn't happen in the next three, and it could happen in the next three years, and it could happen in the next 90 days. I don't know. But central planning fails, 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 and we're engaged in central planning. That's what the government's doing. If they're setting the prices in the markets, they're engaged in central planning. Go up in everybody's face, and when it does, those of you that are holding gold are going to say, you know, that was one of the smartest things I ever did. Those of you who are not are going to say, oops, take, should have got gold. What else, Melody? Well, I agree, but I do know why these markets are higher. It's just usually when you have a big gain of 150 points, usually they'll tag it to something, and, and certainly maybe it's just the 
you know, euphoria of the, the NASDAQ hitting 5,000 that moved all the other markets higher, too. I mean, that was their goal, and they succeeded. I mean, after the housing bubble burst, you had the Dow drop below 7,000. Now it's over 18,000. You have both the other markets hitting all these old highs. And how can anyone really truly believe that it is attributed to any type of uh, wealth production? You've got trillions of dollars that have been borrowed by the government to stimulate our economy. And, and that is what has pushed these levels of these markets to all these highs. Absolutely, the market is rigged. It's been rigged for a long time. Uh, it is a casino, and, and, and we know, and, and you're right, the central planning, I mean, it can only be successful for a period of time because you run out. I mean, the whole market is just based on debt. So, I mean, and we're back to that. I mean, it's like a circle. But, of course, I know why these, these markets are higher. And usually when you have these big runs or 150 points in a day in the Dow, there's usually maybe one. Maybe there was a stock or two that did extremely well to push it up above those levels. And this week you have Berkshire Hathaway. You have Warren Buffett parade, Warren Buffett paraded all around on the, on all the, fin on the financial news programs. And, you know, it just, it's just nauseous. I mean, so, you know, they have to make the markets high, and who knows, maybe there's another big, you know, I don't know if there's any meetings or anything, uh, you know, here in the near future, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it can't go on, and uh, and it's designed, you know, you, you talk about the central planning, it's designed for people that don't know any better, they know, they. I mean, it's just like Obamacare. Oh, yeah, well, we knew the voters out there were dumb enough to accept it, so, you know, we can get through with it. We made it such they to prove it. And the markets are the same thing. And the people out there are dumb enough to believe it, you know, so give them a little carrot, keep them quiet so we can continue with, uh, you know, where we become billionaires. And I just saw the list of billionaires increase once, once, once again. So, anyway, we're ready for break. I'm ready. All right, let's not talk about it until we're absolutely certain we're on the break. So we'll just take a break right now. I'm Alfred Addis, here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. We'll be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. All apothecary herbs now. Eight six six two two nine three six six three. online at the three W's dot thepowerherbs dot com.
Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adams here with Melody Stevens from On Finance and Survival. Here's some news you can use. All right. KFC, this is a uh, I don't know which one. For whatever reason, the clipping don't have the source. But KFC plans to roll out <laughs> edible coffee cups in the United Kingdom. KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, is planning to serve its customers coffee in a cup they can eat. Uh, fast food chain will soon debut edible cups at all its UK franchises, the New York Times reported. Cups will be made from wafers lined with heat-resistant white chocolate wrapped in sugar paper. Will be introduced to to KFC along with Starbucks brand Seattle's Best Coffee. This type of edible packaging is definitely aligned with global consumer mindset in terms of sustainability and simplifying their life. That's according to Shilpa Rosenberry, a senior director for global consumer strategy at consulting firm Damon Worldwide, yada, yada. What the heck is she talking about? going to have edible coffee cups because this is aligned with global consumer mindset, sustainability, and simplifying our lives? I would say a cup that you can eat is not a cup that you can that you can guarantee is going to hold coffee. That'd be the first thing I'd say. I'd say the probability that the cup is going to leak and stain your dress or your pants or whatever it is you're wearing is it's got to be increased and I don't see how that's going to simplify the global consumer's life. Right? But in any case soon we can expect to see edible packaging on our frosted flakes. Throw a box of cereal into your bowl, add milk and you'll be able to eat the cereal and its packaging. We'll add steaks on the grill that we don't have to uh, remove from the grocery store's packaging. You know, they got the they got the insulated base on them. They've got the transparent plastic on the top and that stuff. You don't have to take the steak out of that. You just throw the whole thing on the grill, and it will be seasoned by the packaging. Edible packaging is what's for dinner, Melody. Well, I've heard of edible underwear, but uh, anyway. Yeah, this is a, yeah, that's, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but no, well, probably a variation on the same theme. Yeah. Earlier I talked about the uh, uh, billionaires, 290 newcomers are joining the list in the last year. And, and again, as all these markets just defy all of this international turmoil. Gosh, you have wars, diseases, currency crisis, I mean, on and on and on. But people are still making these 10-figure fortunes. Nearly 25% of this year's first five billionaires hail from China, which produced a world-leading 71 newcomers. States came in second with 57, followed by India and Germany. Most famous rookie on the billionaires list, Michael know he was a great base basketball player and uh, the best paid athlete of all time. A lot of his cash comes from his 
band growth an estimated 2.25 billion in 2013, but his most valuable asset stake is the Charlotte Hornets. And you even have the, the Microsoft uh, uh, CEO Steve Ballmer. He bought the LA Clippers for two billion. So it's like if you want to be a billionaire, all you have to do is, is buy a sports team. Which look where all that money comes from. People out there going week after week for entertainment to all these ball games, and they pay these ridiculous prices. And it's astounding. It's amazing. So there's, to me, I see that as there's still a lot of money floating around in these economies when you have the owners are becoming billionaires. Not only, of course, on the, uh, you know, just on their uh, sports teams, but still a big portion of it, certainly. Goes to show how worthless. Because I mean, the, 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 you know, it's just like we've accepted millions, we accepted billions. They're close to trillions, yeah. and it's like they mean nothing. The numbers mean nothing anymore. It's just a way of keeping score. And it's not. And to say so isn't just hyperbole. In fact, there's two ways of counting money. There are two. Money can serve two purposes. Of Passes for money. It can be a unit of value or it can be a unit of account. Gold is a unit of value. We deal in terms of how many ounces of gold ultimately do you have or how many <clears throat> how many coins of a particular mint state condition and year and so on do you have. Money, the currency that we use, the green pieces of paper, the digital currency is only a medium of accounts. It's a medium of value. It's a medium of account. These are two entirely different phenomena. It's a currency. It's just like monopoly money. Monopoly money is a medium of account. It tells us who's winning the monopoly game. But it doesn't have any intrinsic value. Our currency tells us who's winning the economic game, but it doesn't have any intrinsic value. So as a result, it's a way of counting, but it's not a way of value. Distinction is something that very few people understand, appreciate, recognize, even imagine. And as a result, the day is going to come. We're going to see the 290 new billionaires are going to find out that all of a sudden they are no longer billionaires. They're maybe, you know, maybe reduced back to where they are tens of millionaires. Instead of having a billion dollars or more, they're going to have $10 million. Billions are calculated media of accounts rather than media of value. There was a, a release just not too long ago. I just got it. It was um, $8 million in gold stolen from a truck in North Carolina. This is armed robber sold about $4.8 million in gold bars on Sunday from an armored truck, State 95 from Florida to Massachusetts. 
uh, two security guards working for Trans Value Inc. of Miami reported pulling side of the interstate about 6.30 p.m. truck began having mechanical problems. And driving a white van, ordered the guard to lie on the ground, tie their hands, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Trans Value said the stolen gold bars weighed a total of about 275 pounds. Truck was carrying the, the gold from Miami and was heading to a uh, Attleboro, Massachusetts. Their jewelry manufacturer. And well, what's it's the funny, first time the truck's been robbed of a unit of value rather than a unit of account in, you know, recent history. And this is interesting robbery because somebody had to know that gold's on the truck. $50,000 reward. Oh, really? I know. Sold $50,000 for $4.8 yeah, right. million. <laughs> $50,000 is nothing to see. Yeah, they'll get a lot of replies out of that one. There'd be people if they had a fifty, you know, I mean, the bank robbers, or the the truck robbers, the gold the gold robbers. They could post ads in the newspaper. Anybody knows who we are, we'll give you fifty thousand. Just keep your mouth shut. Matter of fact, we'll give you a hundred thousand. So, what's next, Matt? I don't know. We've got here. Here's something that's interesting. This is interesting. You may have said everyone. Uh, the audience has probably seen this already. Uh, it is a, a Middle East publication reported on Sunday that well-placed sources confirmed unnamed Israeli minister closed a plan to Secretary of State John Kerry that Israel, this happened sometime in the past, that Israel was preparing to send its jet fighters across to bomb a nuclear facility in Iran. Obama reportedly told them, you go ahead and set those planes up and we will shoot the Israeli aircraft out of the sky. Now, that report came out a couple of days ago, and here's the one that is, as of Sunday, a headline from the Washington Times is, Administration denies Obama threat to shoot down Israeli warplanes. President Obama threatened last year to use U.S. military to shoot down Israeli fighter jets if they attempted to destroy Iranian nuclear facilities. This, of course, a Middle East outlet, yada, yada. The Obama administration has since denounced these reports as flatly untrue. Threat reportedly deterred Israeli Minister Benjamin Netanyahu from dispatching warplanes into Iran after Israel discovered that the U.S. had entered into secret talks with Iran. That they and that the two countries had signed an agreement, a secret agreement between the United States and Iran. Based on this secret agreement. After years of people singing bomb, 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 Iran, or reached a secret agreement with Iran where we're not going to bomb, 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 Iran, 
fascinating to me that President Obama has apparently entered into this secret agreement with Iran, well, entered into this agreement with Iran, apparently in secret, and Iran is... Well, there have been suspicions that President Obama is himself Muslim. He's denied it, but his behavior in some instances suggests that may be true. Turning his back on Israel, saying, we'll, bomb, we'll, we'll shoot your aircraft out of the sky if you try to bomb Iran. We are now not protecting Israel. We are protecting Iran. Now, the government has denied these reports. They're untrue. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, think, or feel about this per se, Generally, I think if the government says something is untrue, that's usually good evidence that it is true. It's not, you know, of course, that's 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 not always the case. But uh, what do you think, America? Do you think our government has reached some sort of an agreement with Iran to defend Iran against Israel? Robert, look, look at all the things that this... Obama has done and signed by executive orders. I mean, he's doing things that leaves many people puzzled, and, not puzzled, but shocked. And, and I was hearing a report this morning where in Iraq you have a city where Bin Laden's birthplace, that there's troops that are in there attacking ISIS. But there's no Americans there, which is okay, but it's led to believe that it's um, being led by the Iranian military. So has Washington agreed to all these things with Iran? They come in and, and clean up the mess, and I walk away after they clean it up. So it's yeah, you wonder about this. I mean, that's a good point because it could explain. Mm-hmm. We can first order of business is I would put nothing past Obama. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the first order of business. This guy will do whatever he feels like doing. If it feels good, do it. He'll do it. All right. If it feels good to him, he'll do it. Right? So it's this is these reports are plausible. Necessarily true, but plausible. Um, second point is. Apparently, there's a secret negotiation, secret agreement between Iran and the Obama administration, if this report is true. We can wonder, is that secrecy there because they want to protect the Obama administration from exposure to the American people, that it's decided to side with Iran rather than with Israel? Is that why it's secret? Or is it secret because Iran doesn't want to be exposed in the world as playing an active role in trying to knock down ISIS. It doesn't have to necessarily be both of them. It could be both, or it could be one or the other. So, again, this is one of these stories. I wouldn't put it past Obama. If it's true, it really does open 
unpredictable. And it's another one of those leaves in the breeze that says we are not headed for happy times, not headed to stable times, stability and chaos headed our way. Also, commercials. Going to take some commercials along with our instability and chaos. Starting those commercials now. Melody and I will be back on financial survival in just a moment. Please stay tuned. will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgrade this pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663 or thepowerherbs.com. of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, it has traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. Restore the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Suderstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. 1-800-375-4188 for all your gold and silver coin needs. Here's an article from Reuters. Out in the last little while. Year after fleeing Ukraine, Yanukovych speaks of return. Okay, now Yanukovych was the president of the lawfully elected government of Ukraine until about this time a year ago, when, thanks largely to the United States, a revolution took place which overthrew the lawful government that was in favor of closer relationships with Russia and replaced it with the the current government, which was in favor of 
closer relationships with the United States. Now, the new government's essentially just a U.S. puppet. They don't talk about it much in the mainstream media, but that's the reality. Um, these are not the revolution in the Ukraine was not just something that happened because people were unhappy with their government. It was fomented to a large degree by the United States. So Yanukovych was ousted a year ago, and he is now suggesting, and he's been staying in Russia. And here's, here's the article. Uh, House of Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych, who fled to Russia a year ago after being toppled by months of street protests, said he was ready to return to Ukraine if the opportunity arose. The pro-Russian leader was overthrown by the Maidan uprising in Kiev against his decision to back away from a deal that would have taken the country towards integration with Europe and instead tightened the economic ties with Russia. And now he's saying, well, under the right circumstances, I might come back. And I'm wondering if he's just talking through his hat and just making conversation or... If he's kind of throwing his hat into the ring and saying, look, you guys are so messed up in Ukraine right now. Maybe the only way to really get out of this problem is to restore the pro-Russian, lawfully elected, lawfully elected government that was there in Ukraine until it was overthrown last year, about a year ago. And if he were brought back, would that be the wild card needed to end the current Ukrainian crisis? If Yanukovych could be reinstalled as president, would that end the revolution and the conflict and the shooting and the deaths and the rest? Does that seem plausible to you, Melody? Well, Putin needs something, particularly yeah. after this weekend, after his critic. Uh, was assassinated. I guess they're having, you know, a lot of demonstrations over there now. After, uh, uh, and I, I'm just reading the headlines that even another Putin critic is killed. So, oh, you don't want to say anything bad about Putin. <clears throat> but it was interesting. I was reading. You know, we talk. We hear all these reports about how 80% of the people, you know, still support him and so forth. And even is that the truth? Are we even really hearing the truth about? Uh, uh, his ability to lead Russia anymore. They they certainly have lost jobs. Their economy is hurting. And, um, you know, this is, um, you know, you're bound to lose, you know, the support of your people when, you know, their, their currency has dropped 50%. And, uh, you know, it, it becomes difficult. You're no longer going to support that leader. So, you know, you, you could possibly see things coming out of there that's just not the truth. And so he certainly does need something. And is he losing? Not really that he's losing, but he's in a he's in a quagmire there. And I'm sure he'd like to see this thing resolved. All right, one way or another. I don't think Putin really wants. I think he just wants to keep people off his back. Essentially, I think he understands that he has the primary influence in Ukraine because he's right next door. And as a result, no matter how this works out, next two weeks, two months, whatever, ultimately Ukraine will probably, or much of Ukraine, 
even if that has to be divided, it's going to gravitate into the Russian orbit. You know, it's going to become more closely associated with Russia and less closely associated with the United States or Europe or NATO. Well, he's going to win, but he's it's it may how soon? How soon does he win, Melody? In the next 60 days or in the next five years? He doesn't want this to last five years. If he wins. I think he has to because he's, just, he's, he's a dominant force relative to Ukraine. He understands that. Ukraine can't fight Russia. And NATO probably can't support Ukraine. And the United States ultimately can't provide sufficient support for Ukraine to win. And the most of the people, it's not even clear that the Ukrainian people are in favor of the Ukrainian government. Some of them are, but it's not necessarily a majority. They're not just fighting a handful of rebels in the eastern Ukraine. They're fighting a significant part of the population that are ethnically Russian, that want to be more closely associated with Russia. The previous lawful government was in favor of closer associations with Russia. If anything, it was a minority of Ukrainians that were against closer associations with Russia. Yet they overthrew the existing government, said, no, we're going to go closer to the United States. You know, this whole thing is, I doubt that the current Russia, or current Ukrainian government I doubt that they can really count on the loyalty of the vast majority of the Ukrainian people. So, how are you going to win? How are you going to win when most of your people, most of your, even your troops, probably don't really support the existing government? I don't think they can. I think there was a recent update about five hours ago where the Europe said it hoped for a positive outcome today as Russia and Ukrainian energy ministers held talks in Brussels uh, trying to resolve the gas supply dispute uh, that's threatening those deliveries to Europe. I mean, that's a separate issue. But um, they're still having problems. Uh, um, the, the European Union re- receives about a third of its gas from Russia, mm-hmm. with about half of that trans going through the Ukraine pipeline. So. Which is another reason why the European Union is not necessarily working closely with the United States in this matter. Russia being the supplier, I mean, it's what have you done for me lately? Russia's giving them gas. I don't mean for free. They're selling it. They're providing natural gas to Europe that helps them get through the winters and provides energy for their machinery and whatever in in the summertime. Um, they're getting something that they need out of Russia, and they don't want to mess that up. So in the end, Russia is sitting there. They're in you know difficult situation right now. But still, even Europe has got to sit back and say, hmm, we've got to cut a deal with these guys, because if we don't, we're going to freeze to death in the dark. So Putin is playing this as an investor. And the government of Ukraine is playing as a speculator. I think Putin's got the long-term advantage and intent to wait on it. Thanks, Dan. I don't know. We've got an article here from Reuters that refers to the uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Stanley Fisher. It says, Fed's Fisher, vice chairman, says asset purchase programs continue. 
Federal Reserve Vice Chairman Stanley Fisher said on Friday that the Fed's various quantitative easing programs continue to buoy the economy, holding down both long-term interest rates and boosting employment. Well, I don't know. They're holding. I don't see that the that the quantitative easing has held down long-term interest rates. That's been just held down. They said, look, here it's going to be cheap. We're going to hold the interest rates down with or without quantitative easing. We're going to hold interest rates down close to zero. So I don't see that quantitative easing had a lot to do with that. It may be consistent, but I don't see that it was a cause. And boosting employment, that's an interesting argument because, yes, the official rate, the official figures indicate that the uh, you know, there's more jobs, more people are being employed. Unemployment is diminishing, but there are credible people out there saying that unemployment rates are 9% or more, and in some instances over 20%. And the government is talking about less than 6%, and uh, they're credible. So I'm looking at this report from Vice Chairman Stanley Fisher. I'm saying, I don't know, maybe he's just blowing smoke. Fisher said studies indicate that the Fed's accumulation and current holdings and reinvestment of some $4.2 trillion in bonds and other securities was uh, holding down the interest on 10-year treasuries by as much as 110 basis points and had cut perhaps 1.2 percentage points from the unemployment rate. Well, they talk about they've got $4.2 trillion in bonds and other securities. What they actually have is about three trillion, about four point two trillion, more or less three trillion are toxic assets, which is code for pieces of paper that are no longer worth as much as people once thought they were. They have paid full price for bonds, for example, that are only worth on the free market a fraction of what they are priced at. Thanks to the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve says, oh, yeah, we'll give you a million dollars for that bond, even though we know that if the bond was sold on the free market, you'd be lucky to get 750000 maybe even 500000 that million-dollar bond. Um, so he continues, asset purchases over more recent years have provided meaningful stimulus to the economy and continue to do so. These macro and economic effects are only now manifesting themselves in full. Well, there's a certain amount of truth or possible truth when he says these macroeconomic effects are only now manifesting themselves in full. That might be true. They pumped a couple of trillion dollars into the economy, and yet we didn't get much reaction for the first several years. It may be true that we're only beginning to feel the effects of a couple of trillion dollars that were pumped into the economy, say three trillion. Maybe now we're getting the effect. And if that's true, it's disingenuous. That's a word that means fibbing, Melody. I get that, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's disingenuous for Federal Reserve Vice Chairman Stanley Fisher to say that quantitative easing has avoid the economy and continues to do so. And it's not clear. So it's not clear to me. I'm sure he's entitled to his opinion. I'm entitled to mine, but it sounds like a certain amount of fibbery. 
Is there, there is such a word. Is there a word called fibrillary melody? There is now. Uh-huh. Kind of like elk. Mm-hmm. That's another one. I, I, own the, I own the word elk, as you know, because I, I created that back in the day. Um, instead of saying heck or the other word, I said elk. I own that one, and now I also own fibrillary. You get a copyright on that. And anybody who says fibrillary, and I have to pay. You get a licensing fee for saying fibrillary or elk. I may be able to retire just on the licensing fees of those words alone, Melody. What do you think? You think so? Well, that's possible. I don't know. Um, well, you know, it's again, it's part of this idea that we are living in a world that is so dominated by lies. Melody was talking about. Is Putin telling the truth? Are we getting the truth out of Russia? Well, of course not. No, of course we're not. If they're in trouble, they're not going to admit it. The extent of the trouble will not be admitted. Where do you go to find? Where do you go to find the truth? Interesting question. There's another one from EmploymentData.com. Headline is Gallup Head says unemployment rate is a big lie. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics released the unemployment rate for January 2015. Adjusted U3 unemployment rose insignificantly from 5.6% to 5.7%. Unadjusted employment rose more significantly from 5.4% to 6.1% in January. Unadjusted U6 unemployment, i.e., including discouraged workers who have given up working, plus those working part-time but seeking full-time employment, uh, jumped from 11.1% December to 12% January. All right, but the big news is that Jim Clifton, the CEO of Gallup, Gallup Poll, said that the unemployment is really closer to 9%. He said there's no other way to say this. The official unemployment rate which cruelly overlooks the suffering of long-term and often permanently unemployed as well as depressingly underemployed, amounts to a big lie. I hear, I hear all the time that unemployment is greatly reduced, but the people aren't feeling it. When the media, talking heads, the White House and Wall Street start reporting the truth, the percent of Americans in good jobs, jobs that are full-time and real, and we will quit wondering why Americans aren't feeling something that doesn't remotely reflect the reality of their lives. And we will also quit wondering what hollowed out the middle class. Based on demographic trends, I suggest the real unemployment rate after weeding out disability fraud, forced retirement, kids hiding out in school for lack of a job, and those who are not counted as the unemployed simply because they gave up looking is more like 9% than 7%. And as I said, <clears throat> you know, John Williams, he says it's over 20% when you factor everything in. I don't know what the truth of the matter is, but I can bet that the truth presented by the government is false. I'm Alfred Addis, here with Melody Searson. We're out of time. Be back from Niana in the meantime. The good Lord bless you, mean Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye.
American Homes Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, Transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Rainbow Ray Everybody, welcome to Moon Day. Here we get started on the week that the American government is scheduled to close down. Now, a lot of uh, people that you just meet in casual conversation, they have no idea what's going on. That's why we have American Voice Radio. It is why we have Freedom Call. So that when people look at you and say, huh, what do you mean the government is scheduled to close down? You can say, Yes, uh, it did it during the Carter administration. Yeah, it did it during the Bush administration. And it usually doesn't stay closed down for long, but when we hit a debt ceiling, $14.3 trillion. And, uh, uh, friends, that debt ceiling, uh, we just fire right on through there. Only... The law requires that there be an agreement with Congress. Well, right now, the Republicans control the 435-member House of Representatives. The Democrats control the 100 U.S. Senators. And there is no agreement. The Republicans want to cut the Obama spending budget by $61 billion. And the Democrats say, no, no. And so the Republicans say, no cuts, no lifting of the spending ceiling. Now, I told you that it's not uh, popular, it doesn't make anybody, whether it's the president, whether it is the leader of the Senate, Mr. Harry Reid, or Mr. Boner, the, the Speaker of the House. It doesn't make any difference who it is when the Social Security checks stop coming in. It all of a sudden gets serious. It takes the American public about two days to wake up. But once they, it's like in World War II and World War I, other times, if you can get America on its feet, look out. And so if America uh, gets on its feet, and we've had a little practice, I mean, it was good for what ails us. It made me feel taller when we were having all these town hall meetings. People were speaking out. I mean, that's really cool. That is the way it's supposed to be. Well, when America wakes up to the fact that 
Uh, it is likely that we are going to close. It is now, if you want to be exact about it, and if you want to play, you know, countdown, like uh, do you want to be a millionaire or something, well, it is Friday night at 11.59 and 59 seconds. In the next second, midnight, on Friday, she closes down. Now, the debt ceiling, of course, is $14.300 billion, and it's $14 trillion, of course. Now, just uh, as a reminder, in the days of old hickory, you've got to drop back now about uh, 170 years. But if you go back uh, to about 170 years ago, uh, 1836, you have Andy Jackson, President of the United States. A man insults uh, Andy Jackson's uh, not uh, a comely-looking woman, but nevertheless the wife of the President of the United States. And Andy, uh, you know, draws on him. He'll fire on you. He says, for public ear and for these banks, that you are a den of vipers and thieves, talking to the bankers now, that wanted to take over the credit and currency of the United States, which is against the Constitution. You are a den of vipers and thieves, and by the power of the Almighty, I will wipe you out. Old Hickory, uh, he carried that big stick, and like Teddy Roosevelt, uh, who was a little bit later, but old Hickory, he had fully intent to wipe them out, and they knew it. So they grabbed their backsides, and they headed for the tall timber. Well, we didn't have a Federal Reserve. The Congress was responsible for the currency and credit of the United States, and the debt of the United States, when old Hickory left office, he served two terms. He's now out of office, and the debt of America is zero. We can't even imagine that, can we? Now, it took until Ronald Reagan for the debt of the United States to reach from zero, old Hickory, seventh president, Two one trillion under Ronald Reagan. Now, by the time that it hit Daddy Bush, it was four trillion. And with Obama, he has outstripped everybody. Obama has spent in his short time in office more than all of the other presidents of the United States put together. And he has plans that just keep on spending. And so there is a ceiling. I don't think Obama uh, ever thought that there were any rules. I'm not sure about this, but just in looking at Obama's past, where he was uh, a neighborhood organizer in the Daily Machine in Chicago, for which Obama's chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, uh, 
just became the mayor of. And he, they just did things. They didn't follow rules. Uh, mayor Daly's rules were uh, vote uh, early and vote often, which means get up and get out there and vote as many times as you can. So I think Obama just figured that, you know, we sort of make the rules. Uh, he appoints czars uh, who don't have to be vetted through the U.S. Senate. And uh, every now and then he runs into a stone wall like uh, he had a czar appointed as Bureau of Land Management. Well, the United States uh, owns most of the West. And uh, he just thought that, I don't know, it wasn't that self-appointed uh, communist that was his green czar. But uh, at any rate, he had to recall a Republican to be the head of the Bureau of Land Management under the Secretary of the Interior because you've got to have somebody that's not a dummy. And if you'll notice, he's got a Republican, Gates, who was head of CIA and also was uh, Secretary of Defense. You can't have, you know, some kind of nut. It is the Secretary of Defense. I mean, with the Federal Reserve, uh, which controls the currency and credit of America, and you got a guy named Geithner, you know, for a treasurer, uh, they... You don't need anybody that can add, subtract, multiply, or divide. And as a result, we have $14,300,000,000 that we will never be able to pay back. And you know something? The debt, now, you don't have to be a prophet. You, right at home, when your uh, significant others... Uh, when your family members, your neighbors, your workmates come home, you can say, I've had a vision. The debt of the United States will never go down. And people can say, well, how do you know? And you say, I just had the vision. Let's watch it. And let's say after uh, five years, uh, if it's never gone down but always gone up, then why don't you pay me something? We'll make a little bet. Well, if you'd like to know, I mean, more specifically, how about do it this way? This is the last day of February, and why don't you say, uh, how about uh, I uh, tell you what the debt will be in the year 2015? And if it uh, is, then you owe me a little something. Well, you can. You know, I mean, honestly, this is, uh, you may say it's not scientific, but the fact is that America's debt goes up $4 billion every day and never down. And so you can just uh, protract it. Now, uh, and it's not, this is, these are not the figures of both rights. These actually are the figures of the budget office, which is in the 
old executive office building, which is a magnificent piece of architecture. Now, that is actually west uh, of the White House. It's across 17th Street, uh, on the side of the street of the White House, the budget office over there, and they this is what they do best. The budget will be on 28 February 2015, 22 trillion. So you see how it almost completely redoubles itself? 332 billion dollars. So right now uh, we have a ceiling of 14.3. Well, hey, that 14.3 is going to have to go up 11 trillion dollars, isn't it? Just in the next four years. And you know what the interest? Just the interest, which has to be borrowed into existence. What happens is the Secretary of the Treasury has to say to the director of the U.S. Mint, run off $343 billion. And we give that to the Federal Reserve in payment one year for the interest on our debt. And we even have to include the interest in the debt. (laughs) I mean, it is the darndest thing. Any time that you want to sit back and uh, look at the American economy, and go back and think what a great, great nation we were. You go back as far as as 1913, and you stop, because there is when the privately owned banks met. There's a book called Jekyll Island. Jekyll Island is the story of the bankers and certain politicians who schemed to do to America during the time of Woodrow Wilson what they couldn't do during the time of Andrew Jackson. And uh, when Andy Jackson caught him and said, you're a den of fibers and thieves, and the debt of America was zero because he sent them running, it didn't happen that way. The bankers bought up 50 of the nation's most influential newspapers, and then they just propagandized the Federal Reserve. They made Americans believe. And, you know, if, uh, let me, it's coming to me, and Hitler will come up in our presentation today because uh, you just never guess who is in trouble because he loves Hitler. But we'll talk about that in just a moment. But Goebbels was Hitler's uh, propagandist. And Goebbels actually thought that he could create, sort of like uh, God, that he could 
create anything that he could repeat enough. He said, if I can tell the German people this, if I can tell the world this enough, it will actually happen. And so uh, we march on where the debt of the United States is a fiat system. That's what they call where you have bills that you print, and uh, the bills that you print say Federal Reserve Note. This is a note. What is a note? Something you owe. This is something that is owed the Federal Reserve. Well, I'm looking at uh, a bill right now, and uh, this was a bill that was printed during uh, the time of uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And I'm going to just lift it out of a little stack. And it says at the top of the bill over Lincoln's head, United States Note. Now, what is the difference between the one that says Federal Reserve Note? And I have another one here uh, that says Silver Certificate. What in the world? And they, these... Uh, they can all have the same president. The denominations are in the sequence that we know about. The uh, Federal Reserve notes have green seals. The silver certificates have blue seals. The Federal the United States notes have red seals. Now, what would it mean if all of a sudden Obama were to say, wow, other presidents, now it got them killed. Two other presidents, for example, who printed United States notes. One is Abraham Lincoln. Everybody knows what happened to Abe Lincoln. And it was because the banks wanted to loan Abe Lincoln money for prosecution of the northern aggression against the, the peaceful South, which is now 150 years ago, and Abe Lincoln wouldn't do it. And so he printed United States notes. Well, the banks get very angry. Why? The money's not worth anything. I mean, except that it has uh, you know, the United States of America, I'm looking at one that says $2. It has a red seal on it. It's uh, 1963. This was printed just before Kennedy was killed. They killed Kennedy also because they were mad because Kennedy was printing United States notes. And the difference is there's no debt on the United States notes, the Federal Reserve note, aha, there you have the United States owing these civilian banks. And that is why you can accurately say exactly that on the 28th of February, the year 2015, 
the United States people will owe to private banks that are not federal, just like federal Fred Smith's Federal Express. They're no more Fred, uh, federal. They don't have any reserves. But America, on 28 February 2015, will owe the private banks controlling the currency and credit of America $343 billion just in interest. Pretty amazing. All right, I uh, don't want to bore you with uh, all of that, but I want you to understand that this country is on a clock, and the clock is ticking, and it says that Friday at midnight the government will close. It closed one time during Daddy Bush's administration. It closed during Jimmy Carter's uh, administration. And people suddenly come awake when all of a sudden the phone rings and nobody answers. And so it is kind of cute, and it would bring America to its feet. And all of a sudden the phone would be ringing off the hook. And America is going to continue. You see, it's to everyone's advantage not to have America say, wow, uh, America is shut down. We have a debt ceiling. We're not going to penetrate. Uh, what are we going to do? We have to live within our means, which means, basically, uh, we can say, all right, stop all of the foreign aid. All right, let's, uh, instead of uh, paying out $790 billion, which we will uh, in 2015, we're just using this as a, as a kind of a fun date time group, we will stop paying uh, $790 billion and bring the U.S. forces home. Now, Obama plans. Darn. Uh, pardon me. Obama plans to reduce the United States Army by 67,000 men. Now, it takes about 16,000, that's in rounded figures, for a division. So, whoa, Obama is going to take about five divisions and decommission. Well, how come if Obama is going to take five divisions and decommission them, are we going to see the defense budget continue where by 2015, you can bet on it, it's going to be $790 billion. It's because war is a business. And as all these entrepreneurs know, you've got to make business good. And so just because we began to pull out of one thing and then another doesn't mean that we're not going to continue 
I mean, our uh, defense industry uh, wouldn't put up with it. All right, so uh, we could live, couldn't we, within our means. We bring the military home. By the way, Obama is going to shave 61,000 United States Marines. Now, it's one thing to take 67,000 soldiers away. We still have a lot of soldiers. But the Marine Corps is the smallest of our military. There's less than 200,000 Marines, and most of them are bayonets. You take 61,000 Marines away, friends, now you have basically uh, tied one arm and one leg behind the U.S. military. I've always been proud of the Marines, but it's because they are such a force of influence in our overseas goals. And I think it's done. Now, one thing Obama is doing is he's actually increasing the budget of the U.S. Coast Guard. Hallelujah! Because the Coast Guard is engaged in a day-to-day war against drug cartel and tariffs trying to come into America. And the drug cartels have so much money that they can afford the very finest materials. They can pay uh, their mercenaries uh, far more than Mexico, for example, can pay its army. And so our Coast Guard is going to get five Navy-type destroyers. They already got two of them, but they're being budgeted for three more. I don't think Obama did this, but even a hog can... Occasionally, a blind hog uproot an acorn. All right, now we're going to uh, just take a little bit of a break. Let me get a little organized here, and I'll be right back with you in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to American Voice Radio. Don't go away. Get something to write with. family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed 
designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today. Freeze Dry Guy at Lancet.com. That's Freeze Dry Guy at L A N S E T.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. Countries have denied internet access for their people during super strike. The FCC sees in use commercial short wave frequencies late after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band, free to air satellite system from ADR. The ADR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one forty. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers with their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I have seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us or under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. All right, good guys. We're back with you on American Voice Radio. And it's time for Freedom Call. We were talking about the numbers that uh, America will reach and how amazing it is that uh, we don't know who the president will be in 2015, but I can tell you exactly what the, the budget numbers will be because it's all predicated on this Federal Reserve. And by knowing uh, the, the amount, that the U.S. debt accumulates every year, I mean every day, $4 billion is the rate that we add to our debt every day. That is why the government can say that by this Friday midnight, the United States government will officially close down. Now, here's what they have planned. They have planned that the Republican Boner and the Democrat uh, Reed will have a meeting to try and figure out 
whatever they do has got to be exactly the same before it goes to the president as law. And so the House can make up, and then they have all these people that want to add amendments. The Senate can have the same bill as the House, and then all of a sudden the Senate wants to add all these things. doesn't work. Before you can say that anything is going to be passed and approved, it has to be, they have to go to conference, and then it has to be word for word, jot and tittle. Then it can go to uh, Obama, and he can sign it, and the United States right now, it looks like, this is a projection, that Reed and Boner will uh, work things out. There's going to be a $4 billion cut. See, the Democrats don't want any cut. The Republicans want $61 billion. Well, they're going to meet this week, probably tomorrow. But it takes that long to kind of get things uh, in the House and the Senate in the same language. They're going to meet tomorrow, and they're going to try to vote to keep the government running for two more weeks. Now, we think that the deal is going to be that the House Republicans are going to say, in order to keep the government running for two more weeks, we want $4 billion shaved off of Obama's uh, allowance this year. And the Senate is going to have to agree to that. Now, I think that that's what's going to happen, because that is where they have, so far it's the closest they have come. It's only, now, if it doesn't work, if the House and the Senate cannot get it in exactly the same harmonics, then the government will close down on Friday at midnight. And it will stay closed down until the House and the Senate can agree, and then they can open the government back up for a short period of time if they want, but they have to have the very same language in the House and the Senate. And the Republicans are saying, and they control the House, they're saying Obama is going to have to shave off $61 billion. And they're starting off with $4 billion on this. Well, the Republican, the House of Representatives will approve a two-week extension. Now, they're going to meet. They're going to try to have a vote by tomorrow. They're going to have to probably go to conference. But by the end of the week, before Friday midnight, they want to have Obama be able to sign a law that will allow U.S. government to keep operating. And I hadn't got any checks yet, and it's interesting because people would say at one time, I trust the government, the 
government will always be in business, and so I can put my uh, efforts and career into a government. I can do uh, exceeding special things for the government that will earn me uh, bonuses. And uh, now that you depend on that, because let's say you've received, you see you get nothing really for free. <laughs> you don't get anything from the government you had given. But because of your uh, special operations, things have happened to you. You've lost pieces of your anatomy. I'm not going to uh, describe it here, but I've lost pieces of my lower anatomy and uh, small chunks of my upper anatomy. And I can't admit because I think it's a good excuse uh, for uh, some of the uh, things that uh, make me appear hard-headed. I got shot in the back of the head in Vietnam with a 7.6239, and the bullet ricocheted off. The doctors uh, in Saigon said, your skull is cracked, but like an egg. There's nothing leaking out right now. And so I think it was like they took barbed wire. It was metal, and it was twisted like uh, like barbed wire. Uh, and there were about, I don't know, eight or nine of these barbed wire stitches in the back of my head. When Charlie Beckwith, who was the head of Delta, walked in and looked at me and said, Bo, are you all right? Well, you don't say no to Charlie Beckwith. So I said, yes, I think so. And he said, where's your uniform? Well, I've been shot in the jungles out there, and so I had some ragtag uh, tiger suit hanging in a little closet. Get into these. He ripped the IV out of my arm. Here's a, a, a really a hard-looking old hide of a nurse saying, you get out of here. You get out of here. I'll call the military police. And you, you don't threaten Charlie Beckwith. Uh, he said, we've got a chopper out there with a motor running. We're due up north. And you think of a bad day. You think Charlie Sheen had a bad day uh, yesterday with what he said about two and a half men. Do you know they pay that turkey $2 million? Do you realize that they had made all of these uh, episodes, like 117 episodes, and they needed, they were looking for just a, a few more. And then Charlie Sheen started opening his mouth about how awful CBS is and the people who make up the story about two and a half men. I don't watch it, so I really can't comment on it. And so they canceled the show. Well, Charlie Sheen apparently doesn't need the money. But they say he had a bad day when they canceled his whole CBS show. And people are really mad at him. Well, that night, going in on another mission in an H-34, those were, we had to use these old piston-driven uh, Choctaw helicopters because uh, where Delta went, 
we weren't supposed to be. Ergo, if you were in a Huey, then they knew you were an American. They knew we were American anyway. But if we were in a 30, H-34 gas-driven uh, and there wasn't any American pilots or anything, got shot down on top of this mountain. Plane crashed, big rock comes through the floor, but it stuck us on this big cliff. Uh, dead, wounded, helicopter is on fire. And Bo Baker, a wonderful friend and officer that I trained, uh, and when he came to Vietnam, we got him a job as Charlie Beckwith's executive officer and operational officer for Delta. He came in, he all, we always had a pickup ship, just in case we did get shot down under impossible. There was no way to retreat. We couldn't break contact and get away. A big rock had come right up through the A-34 and stuck us on the side of a cliff where God had saved us. Otherwise, we would have gone off about a 300-foot cliff straight down to the rocks below, and we would have all been killed. But here comes uh, A.J. Baker, and uh, he hovered the H-34 just so all I could do is reach up and uh, grab the lip of the door. And he was down on his chest, and he said, Bo, I hate to tell you this, but we're full of VIPs. Everybody uh, that's come over from uh, the Defense Department uh, and Congress wanted to see a Delta covert entry, and uh, I got only room for uh, you're seriously wounded. The dead will have to leave. The light wounded will have to stay. I call that a bad day. <laughs> anyway, it's 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 actually no worse than looking at the United States under this fiat money system, which I have done for about half of my uh, aware life, knowing that we were going to reach a time where we're almost there, where the math just doesn't work anymore. Then what do we do? Well, that's why these guys met in Jekyll Island in before 1913, and why they put these civilian banks uh, where every uh, dollar of printed money, regardless of the denomination, is loaned into existence and has taken us, even with, I mean, in the end, you see how uh, here we had Ronald Reagan at the end of his term uh, America owes $1 trillion. Oh, my gosh. Then by the end of Daddy Bush, America now owes $4 trillion. Four times it went up. Now, we haven't even got started hardly with Obama, and it's $14.3 trillion. Friends, it will never go down. Unless you get somebody in office with stones, somebody like Ron Paul, who knows the banking laws. The banking subcommittee in the U.S. Congress 
knows that the Federal Reserve Act calls for credit to be given to the debt of the United States for every coin that is minted. So I don't know that there's any law against minting uh, a coin that is greater than one dollar. I say we have a president with stones. We appoint a secretary of the treasury with stones, not from one of these New York Federal Reserve banks. New York, by the way, is the only one that's got any real any money. <laughs> they have this huge uh, deposit 90 feet beneath the sidewalk there in New York City where all this gold is kept. And you get a mint director with stones. Then you stamp yourself out a coin, and depending on when it is, it could be, if it's 2015, we'll need to stamp out a coin of 20 Two trillion three hundred and thirty-two billion dollars, and you give it to the Federal Reserve and say, "Here, debt of the United States paid in full." Because the law says, for every coin, America's debt is reduced by the value of the face on that coin. All right, I'm not. This is no fool and doing. Let me go into some things now that uh, you should be interested in. I've mentioned uh, Charlie Sheen. Uh, his rants on Two and a Half Men uh, have uh, got him cleared. His schedule is certainly clear. They say that he has a serious disease that people who have this disease usually die from. It's a disease where you think, uh, you're all powerful, and uh, you know maybe you're a superhero and this kind of stuff. So Charlie Sheen has just been on this week on NBC and ABC squawking about CDS and the management of and the leadership of and the originality that people that make the show go of two and a half men. So he is, Charlie Sheen is toast, and they pay him $2 million, and they've canceled all of the two-and-a-half menses. And so Rosenfield, now this is a sign that Charlie Sheen has now poured five gallons of gas on him, and he's ready to light a match. Rosenfeld, his manager, has quit. Yeah, he quit Charlie Sheen. So that this is usually fire in the hole, fire in the hole, and boom. Anyway, let's uh, go to the Oscars last night. There is uh, some uh, reason. It's good. The King's Speech won the best film of the year. It should have. It's a true story about King George the Sixth. It's a true story about his therapist not being a, a doctor of ther speech therapy. It's a true story about the king needing to pull all of Britain together because Hitler was going to war. 
and it was a true story. It was very interesting. So if you haven't seen it yet, I would advise, I recommend you go see the King's Speech. It now has uh, Oscars for Best uh, Movie of the Year and Best Actor, and I agree in both of these cases. Now, there is a very, I've mentioned that Hitler you know, comes into this thing. We just got through talking about King George the Sixth in World War II and Hitler and his attacks before America got into war. Very interesting guy. His name is John Galliano. And John Galliano is, I mean, he is Christian Dior. Look at all the things, perfume and uh, all the ladies wear, and the and he's up. They are, you know, the the top drawer. Well, Christian uh, Dior's representation in 3D is John G A L L I A N O, and he likes to go to this uh, restaurant called the Pearl in. Gay Paris in Paris, France, and he was uh, in there, and <laughs> he started having an argument. Let me read it to you right out of the paper. The now infamous designer, John Galliano, arrived today at Paris police station to face accusations he made anti-Semitic slurs to a couple. This just hours after a video emerged of Galliano praising Adolf Hitler. French police have stated that Galliano's blood alcohol level, hey, were more than twice the legal limit to drive in France. Of course, Galliano wasn't driving. <laughs> Christian Dior, president and CEO, Sidney Tolendano, Confirmed last week that uh, Galliano had been suspended from the House pending an investigation citing uh, its zero-tolerance policy on anti-Semitism. In the meantime, Christian Dior will present its fall-winter 2011 ready-to-wear show on Friday as part of the Paris Fashion Week without Galliano, the creative director of Christian Dior. Another woman came forward saying that Galliano uh, had said anti-Semitic insults to her in October. The woman stated that the incident also occurred at the same restaurant, La Pearl, in Paris. On Monday, that's the day, a video posted on the website of British Daily, The Sun shows Galliano Arguing with a couple at La Pearl, it was unclear that the video were, uh, when the video was recorded, but the conversation uh, uh, starts with the woman asking Galliano, "Are you blonde with blue eyes?" And Galliano slurs and replies, "No, madam, but I love Adolf Hitler and people like you." would be dead today. Your mothers, your forefathers would be past and dead. 
So, uh, was he drunk? Yes, of course he's drunk. But this is Europe. You are tried. You go to prison for this. That's why I worry about some of the things that we embrace here in the United States. There are special rules. Now, they could call Galliano anything that they wanted to, and it would be perfectly all right. But when Galliano says that he loves Hitler, they can try you. Now, what he's looking at, besides his reputation, he could go to prison and be fined. Well, you know what Bob Hope said at the Oscars last night? He, back in 1953, Bob Hope started all this stuff. And he said, uh, and they had a special technique where it looked like Bob Hope. It was one of these uh, somethingograms, you know, where it looked like uh, there's a Bob Hope. He's talking. And it was they took it out of the 1953 Oscars where he was uh, making the presentation. And Bob Hope says, welcome, all of you, to the Oscars. Or, as it's better known at my house, Passover. Well, that's because the Hollywood is controlled and run by Jewish people and all these people that you, when you hear them say, they will, you can tell, uh, they will say, the great Lieberwitz and the great Weinberg. And then the other people, uh, if you are blonde or blue-eyed, then you're just, uh, you're called and uh, you say, oh, how honored you are and this kind of thing. So I thought Bob Holt, but see, he's not in Europe. That's a big, so don't say anything, even jokingly or drunk. If you're in Europe, you go to prison if you talk about the Jews. Well, then, $30 billion. They say this is, I wish they could have done this to Madoff. <laughs> I think he stole $50 billion from American people. But they're calling it the largest uh, uh, frozen asset. It's kind of like a, a big thing that might sink the Titanic. It floating along out there like an iceberg. $30 billion of Gaddafi's money has been sealed in the Swiss banks. Well, sure, they seal Libya, uh, I mean, Mubarak Gaddafi. They seal Mubarak from Egypt. They seal anybody, you know, who they got a good reason to. What do you think happened to all that Holocaust money where these uh, good people who didn't survive the Holocaust here they are uh, with their money securely in Swiss banks. What do you think happened to all the money that the Germans, the Nazis, uh, who had it securely deposited in the Swiss neutral, trustworthy banks? Just how much money do you think the Swiss have got <laughs> from seizing uh, these accounts? All right, guys, uh, this is about time for us to let you go for today. Obama is meeting with the governors of the states today. And Obama has said, meaning about Obamacare, if you governors can do it better in your states, you go ahead. Whoa. So Obama is basically
basically saying you don't have to follow the Obama U.S. government law that uh, they show through uh, during you know the lame dog, lame duck uh, session. So that uh, you know this thing, uh, who knows? Maybe Obama's even uh, willing to. Uh, Look around and see uh, that we are drowning in our debt. God knows, time will tell. By the way, if you've been flying recently besides TSA, groping and grabbing and poking, uh, there is a measles scare. I know this sounds weird, but there was a woman that got on a plane. She went to, to Baltimore, Washington International Airport in Denver and Albuquerque, and she had the measles. And they're saying that, whoa, uh, people who are not, you know, if you've already had the measles, I, I think you're okay. But if you haven't had the measles, they're saying you literally could get the measles uh, by being in the airport, in the aircraft, uh, around the crew people, whatever, uh, that may have picked up uh, this so if the uh, spots start to appear in front of you, uh, it may not be your eyes. So take care. Stay tuned. American Voice Radio. It'll be interesting to follow. I'll let you know how the government's progressing, if we can call it that, uh, each day. And uh, we're going to make it through this thing. And it may just make America come awake until we actually do something about the American debt. Wouldn't that be cool? All right, guys, stay tuned. We'll test today, but only three. When the green berets drink a little of nature's land. Job stress, financial obligations, or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704 704- 875-8010 or order online at the 3 wthepowerherbscom American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember
remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971. When an ounce of gold are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at dgscoins.com. That's dgscoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. Organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. One communication system can flight system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. For $149.99. That's the shipping and the system $149.99. Call 541 225 4659. That's 541 225 4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
And welcome to the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, Sam Roy Ben Shadler, Constitutional Counselor, and still all around pain in the rear end to be bugs all over. Today is Monday, March 2nd, 2015. Yes, a new month, new year here, and, and we're just chugging right along. It is the 3 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. This is a live call-in show. Calling in is not necessary. Thinking, however, is... Of course, we always give that exemption to those at Media Matters and the Southern Poverty Law Center and, um, and of course, those government agents that are paid to listen into this show. Because, after all, if we required them to think, that would create a hostile work environment. I don't want to be responsible. If you'd like to call in, it's real simple. You go to www.theamericanvoice.com, find the appropriate number for your or you may do like a lot of people do, and that is... Uh, send me an instant message via Yahoo Instant Messenger. The ID is the same as been for a long, long time, KC7AQK. As is our want, we like to open up this show with the wisdom of the ages, otherwise known as the dead white guy quote. Do not blame Caesar. Blame the people of Rome who have rejoiced in their loss of freedom, who hail him when he speaks in the form of more security, more living fatly at the expense of the industrious. Well, that would have been Marcus Cicero, you know, good old Senator Cicero. And, you know, I, I read that and I go, gee, Senator, it sounds like you're talking about B.O.'s supporters there. That's <laughs> exactly what it sounds like to me. Okay, we have... 28 pages, yeah, a lot of stuff, in today's newsletter, your calls, instant messages, and whatever else happens to come across the transom, and we will get to as much of it as possible right after this little disclaimer. Warning, this show may be hazardous to your paradigms if you are a whiny, crying, liberal, pinko, commie bedwetter, an inept, overpaid bureaucrat, or are still mad over Reagan's tax cut. Should you fit into any one of the above categories, immediately have your friends tie you down for some truth therapy. Continue this therapy until you can dismiss your delusions and can deal with reality. If you cannot handle 100% pure, unadulterated truth, this radio show will not be held responsible for your predictable discomfort. And welcome back to the show. Remember, my job, friends, is and I do it the same way you can do it, by asking questions. But you need to support the show. You need to support the network. I know I say that every, almost without fail every week, at least once, most times, multiple times, but it's true. Unless you do, well... What do I? What can I say? Uh, because most of you aren't. In fact, very few do. It really is sad how few do. But anyway, I digress. It's it's just one of those realities. Life is um, 
it, freedom and liberty is not free. You you got to work for it, and you got to support it. And well, if you don't, I say it goes away. Okay, it's a new month. It's the first Monday of the month, so therefore it's time for the monthly disclaimer. Skipping right to the point, I'll just get right to it. You know, it's like this. Your host, that's me, Emroy Ben Shadler, is in no way threatening any kind of physical, mental, or emotional harm, i.e. a thought crime to any elected politician or bureau rat. And if you, as a politician or a bureau rat, feel that I have been, then that feeling is based purely upon the limited functioning of your own depraved and shoe-sized IQ mind. If you feel threatened by the likes of a harmless political commentator like me, then you really need to get out of the leech business. I'm serious about that. Get out of the leech business and do something productive, you know, like mowing lawns or painting over graffiti or offering yourself as a live target to DHS. Now that they're going to be fully funded, thank you, Congress, so they can become less queasy over shooting Americans. Well, for those of you who say that what I just said is an example of thought crime in and of itself, no, it's not. It's political speech and satire. But unfortunately, due to the totalitarian nature of the Orwellian society we now live in with doublespeak, ingsoc, doublethink, and things like Homeland Security, which is taken right from the Nazi Germany Homeland Department, and of course now we have net neutrality, oh joy, well, the satire I do is becoming not because of anything I am saying or doing, but by the actions of a more aggressive and totalitarian ministry of love that locks up people because of perceived threats. The very thing I started out doing as satire years ago is now the new thought crime. Welcome to the new reality. Big Brother is here. Need I say more? That's it. Big Brother is here. This is it. We're here, my friends. Now, if this has been confusing, I urge you to get 1984 and read it, or at the very least, read the Wikipedia page on it. But I give you a warning. You read it, and you become familiar with the terms that I'm talking about here. Well, the last line of that, sent- of that book, last sentence of that book will not happen to you if you become truly familiar with it. Okay. First Monday stories. Guess what? Amazing. There are no real First Monday stories. A whole month. And I haven't been able to call any really noteworthy First Monday stories. But, however, I do have some thoughts which are very appropriate for First Monday on net neutrality. Here's my thoughts. Like Obamacare, remember? You can't see what's in it until it's passed. And speaking of Obamacare, like neutrality, everything a totalitarian oppressive government does means the opposite of what it's called. You know, there's no affordable in the Affordable Care Act. There is no safe in the SAFE Act. And now, of course, there is no neutral in net neutrality. Another thought, like 80% of the Federal Register, this has been implemented by bureau rats who are unelected, yet you still have the force of law on 
you, even though the Constitution gives only Congress the authority to make law. Also, the two conservatives on the so-called Oversight Committee, and remember, these are Congress critters who give the impression of oversight, yet still allow these bureau rats to do this to us. Well, they tell us that networks like AVR, and this show in particular, will become crimes to operate as they are now. That your host will have to ask permission and then get a license to operate. And if your host were to say anything critical of causes or issues that the executive branch is in favor of, say, Islam, for example, well, that will now become a felony crime. Mm-hmm. And operational speeds of the Internet could and probably will be slowed down to the lowest common denominator. But if you're below that, like I am, don't expect yours to go up. Mm, don't expect that. And finally, as a critical thinking point, if you think net neutrality is to make things equal or actually neutral, well, I have some beachfront property in North Dakota I'd like to sell you really cheap. That's just a few thoughts. Just, just think about that there. Okay. Some interesting little tidbits and that are you know outside the normal domain and purview of the show, but are still important, and here's one. It's a this day in history. Well, it would not be today, but the 24th, in 1779. Now, what's important about what happened February 24, 1779? Well, it's a bit about our American history that you might not be familiar with. In fact, I wasn't familiar with this until I read about it, and I found it so fascinating, I thought I'd share it with you. You see, on this day, or the 24th, actually, in 1779, the British surrendered a fort in what is today modern-day Indiana. Now, of course, I know you, like me, probably are going, what, Indiana? A portion of the Revolutionary War was fought in Indiana? Of course, if you're like me, you're used to hearing about the Revolutionary War battles in the East, but there were conflicts on the Western frontier also. The British lacked manpower to defend both areas, so they fostered alliances with the Indian tribes to help their efforts in the West. Thus, the problem of British-funded Indian raids got worse and worse for American pioneers over time. Well... This is what happened. Colonel George Rogers Clark wanted to solve this problem, and he gained the support of Virginia Governor Patrick Henry, a name who you're probably familiar with, and recruited militia for his mission. They went to the area north of the Ohio River seeking to undermine British alliances with Indian tribes and French settlers in the area. They gained control of a few British forts, including Fort Sackville in present-day Indiana. Unfortunately, British Lieutenant Governor in Detroit, Henry Hamilton, took back Fort Sackville in late 1778 with the help of about 400 Indians. He then made a fatal mistake. 
he let many of his forces leave for the winter, expecting more reinforcements to arrive in the spring. Well, Clark had a decision to make. This is what he wrote. We now viewed ourselves in a very critical situation. We knew that Governor Hamilton in the spring would be at the head of such a force that nothing in this quarter could withstand his arms, that Kentucky must immediately fall, and, well, if the desolation would end there. Well, that's what he wrote, so he had no choice. He decided to make a difficult winter journey to Fort Sackville. Perhaps he could take the British by surprise. He wrote, the enemy could not suppose that we would be so mad as to attempt to march 80 leagues through a drowned country in the depths of winter. That's what he wrote in his journal. The journey took more than two weeks, a journey that today you can make by car and, you know, just hours, if that long. Clark's men sometimes had to ford freezing rivers that were waist to neck high. One particularly tough crossing was made where the ice was, quote, one half to three quarters of an inch thick near the shores and in still waters, end quote, again from his journal. Yet they made it. Clark had less than 200 Then out to convince Hamilton that he had even more than that. As he and his men approached the fort, they marched and countermarched in such a manner that we appeared numerous, again from his diary. Clark also had his men hold up many extra flags to make it appear that he had several regiments with him, and then he asked his men to be noisy and to fire at a faster rate than usual, mimicking the actions of a larger group of men. Well, guess what? These tricks worked. In the American siege began, Hamilton thought he was badly outnumbered. And on the morning of February 24th, Clark sent a demand for unconditional surrender. Hamilton refused, but Clark was worried about Hamilton's reinforcements. He needed that quick surrender. So what did he do? His actions at this juncture were a bit controversial. Yeah, you might say that. What did he do? He captured several Indians who had been part of a scalping raid. He had these men tomahawked purposely within view of the fort as an intimidation tactic. And upon seeing this, Hamilton, well, he decided to surrender. The victory would have far-reaching consequences. Ultimately, it gave American grounds to claim lands north of the Ohio River after the Revolutionary War was over. But for the British surrender of Fort Sackville, what would have happened to modern-day northern states such as Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio? Just a little bit of history for you, my friends. These, these kind of little history bits are, are, are being lost and forgotten. When I come across them, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. That's interesting. So I thought I'd share it with you. Okay. As you know, I read a lot of different blogs out there. And I'm wondering if I'll still be able to read these blogs with net neutrality rules coming through. But we'll see. But in the meantime, I read a commentary that was made by a black male reporter. Now, that's really important, my friends, and you'll understand why as I get into it. But this is a black male reporter who is very brave and pretty honest in, in doing this. What he's done is he's given us 
summary of Barack and Michelle Obama's reign in the White House, and as far as I'm concerned, it's the best I've ever read and squarely hits the nail on the head. And, of course, it took a black male reporter writing this to make it as effective as it, as it is and was. It's, as after all, a white man's account, like myself, would be instantly criticized by the liberal media as pure racism, but because he's black, they'll just call him an Uncle Tom, you know. <clears throat> you know what they'll call him. It starts with an N, you know, and it's Lyndon Johnson's favorite word for describing those of the black uh, uh, Negro race. And it's not Negro, by the way. Um, anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. Name is Michael Massey, respected writer and talk show host in Los Angeles, and this is what he wrote. He said, the other evening on my Twitter, a person asked me why I didn't like the Obamas. Specifically, I was asked, I have to ask you, why do you hate the Obamas? It seems personal, not policy-related. You even dissed their Christmas family picture. Well, the truth is, I do not like the Obamas what they represent, their ideology, and I certainly do not like his policies and legislation. I've made no secret of my contempt for the Obamas. As I responded to the person who asked me the aforementioned question, I didn't, don't like them because they are committed to the fundamental change of my or our country into what can only be regarded as a communist state. I don't hate them per definition, but I condemn them because they are the worst kind of racialist, and they are elitist Leninists with contempt for traditional America. They display disrespect for the sanctity of the office he holds, and for those who are willing to admit same, Michelle Obama's raw contempt for white America is transpicuous. don't like them, because they comport themselves as emperor and empress, and I expect no, I demand respect for the office of the president and a love of our country and her citizens from the leader entrusted with the governance of same. President and Mrs. Reagan displayed an unparalleled love for the country and her people. The Reagans made Americans feel good about themselves and what we could accomplish. His arrogance, by appointing 32 leftist czars, and constantly bypassing Congress is impeachable. Eric Holder is probably the most incompetent and arrogant DOJ ever to hold the job. Could you envision President Reagan instructing his Justice Department to act like jackbooted thugs? Presidents are politicians. All politicians are known and pretty much expected to manipulate the truth, if not outright lie. But even using that low standard, the Obamas have taken lies, dishonesty, deceit, mendacity, subterfuge, and obfuscation to new depths. They are verbally abusive to the citizenry, and they display an animus for civility. I do not like them, because they display bigotry overtly, as in the case of Harvard professor Louis Gates when he accused the Cambridge Police Department of acting stupidly. And her code speak pursuant to now being able to be proud of America. I view that statement 
in the mindset, as an insult to those who died to provide a country where a Kenyan, his illegal alien relatives, and his alleged progeny could come and not only live freely, but rise to the highest, most powerful position in the world. Now Obama is free to hate and disparage whites because Americans of every description paid with their blood to ensure her right to do that. I have a saying that the only reason a person hides things is because they have something to hide. No president in history has spent a million dollars to keep his records and his past sealed. And what of the two of them have shared has been proven to be lies? He lied about when and how they met. He lied about his mother's death and the problems with insurance. Michelle lied to a crowd pursuant to nearly $500,000 in bank stocks they inherited from his family. He's lied about his father's military service, about the civil rights movement, ad nauseum. He lied to the world about the Supreme Court in the State of the Union address. He berated the publicly and publicly insulted a sitting congressman. He surrounded himself with the most rabidly radical socialist academics today. He opposed rulings that protected women and children, and even Planned Parenthood did not seek the support. Openly hostile to businesses and aggressively hostile to Israel. His wife treats being the first lady as her personal American Express black card arguably the most prestigious credit card in the world. I condemn them because as people are suffering, losing their homes, their jobs, their retirements, and his family are arrogantly showing off their life of entitlement, and he goes about creating and fomenting class warfare. I don't like them, and I neither apologize nor retreat from my public condemnation of them and his policies. We should condemn them for the disrespect they show our people for his willful and unconstitutional actions pursuant to obeying the constitutional parameters he's bound by and his willful disregard for congressional authority. Dislike for them has nothing to do with the color of their skin. It has everything to do with their behavior, attitudes, policies. Open scorn for their constantly playing the race card. I could go on, he says, but let me conclude with this. I condemn in the strongest possible terms the media for refusing to investigate them as they did President Bush and President Clinton and for refusing to label them for what they truly are. There is no scenario known to man whereby a white president and his wife could ignore laws, flaunt their position, and lord over the people, as these two are permitted out of fear for their color. Says then, he wrote a syndicated column entitled, Nero in the White House. Just enough time to share it with you. Never in my life, inside or outside of politics, have I witnessed such dishonesty in any political leader. He is the most mendacious political figure I've ever witnessed, even by the low standards of his presidential predecessors, his narcissistic, tumultuous arrogance is unequaled. Using Obama as the bar, Nero would have to be elevated to sainthood. 
many in America wanted to be proud when the first person of color was elected president, but instead they have been witnesses to a congenital liar, a first lady who's been ashamed of her America her entire life, failed policies, intimidation, and a commonality heretofore not witnessed in political leaders. He and his wife view their life at our expense as an entitlement while America's people go homeless, hungry, and wow. Nailed it, my friend. Like I said, only a black man could say it that way and get away with it. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Access for their people during civil strife. The FCC sees in use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September. centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is a coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one forty-nine All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman all tried fiat currencies and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, Coins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to... Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? 
Don't forget to tune in to the Soul for Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. And welcome back to the Constitutional Crusaders show. No, we're not going to have a wipeout, but anyway, uh, this is the show, and you're here, and we're here, and um, just had some interesting things I've been sharing here and talking about even during the break here and such. So wish you could be a part of all that, but you can't be, so that's too bad. I'm sorry. But you can be part of the show, and here we are, and you're part of it by listening. Now, my friends, I got something here that I want to share with you. And it's going to be difficult to listen to because of the subject matter. But I ask you to bear with me because, well, it just shows the mindset. And I remind you, my friends, of the Supreme Court that has said multiple times that not only is it acceptable, but it should be encouraged to only hire police officers from the bottom half of the gene pool. And... Now we're reaping the benefits of that attitude with this headline. Child rapist, ex-cop, killed by cellmate in prison for continually talking about raping a nine-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. Dateline, Saginaw, Michigan, in December of 2013. Former Muskegon County police officer Theodore Dyer was convicted of first-degree criminal sexual assault on a nine-year-old girl. Dyer, aged 66 at the time, was sentenced to life in prison for his disgusting crimes, and he had no idea how short that life sentence would actually be, less than a year after his sentencing. Dyer's life would come to an end in prison. He would be killed by Stephen Sanderson, his cellmate. The 51-year-old Sanderson politely explained to Chief Circuit Judge Fred L. Bouchard why he killed this convicted child rapist. He said, the reason I killed him was because he was a child molester. This was said last Monday in Saginaw County Circuit Court. He then went on to explain questions from his attorney, James Gust, but his attorney said, you did in fact kill him. Oh, sure, Sanderson said. Oh, sure, of course. Beauchard later in the hearing asked Sanderson how he killed the 67-year-old Dyer. Well, if it's all right, Sanderson replied, I can tell you where it started. Go ahead, the judge said. Sanderson said he found out that Dyer, a Grand Haven native, was in prison for a really bad case, his words, of child molestation. That night, Sanderson said, he was trying to justify why he did it, and I told him to keep quiet and that he had to leave in the morning, find a new cell, but he continued to talk about it, try to justify it. So he was a, a little bit bigger than me, so I got down and I hit him in the face a few times. And when he fell, I wrapped a cord around his neck and I took his life, end quote. 
Sanderson is already serving a life sentence without parole for a murder in 1991, and he's currently lodged at the Iona Correctional Facility and his sentencing is set to happen on April 8th. Well, what are your thoughts on the incident? Was justice served? You know, but it's just, just another crooked cop. Mm-hmm. Okay. A thought, before I get into the next thing, a thought from the Bader girl. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Yeah. Here's what she had to say recently. Quote, at the time Roe was decided, there was concern about population growth, and particularly growth in populations that we don't want to have too many of, end quote. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Bader girl for you. Well, remember, this is exactly the plan of Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and a good buddy of Adolf Hitler. Well, that's, you know, we, we can't have too many of, you know, we've got to get rid of them. Well, in light of that, News has come out here from the Associated Press about Virginia to compensate victims of forced sterilizations. Yes, Lewis Reynolds, as the story goes, didn't understand what had been done to him when he was 13. Oh, we have an interesting, we have an instant message. Boy, I'm trying to say three things at once. Let's see, we got uh, Miss D in Oregon um, saying child molesters that aren't sentenced to death should get that result in prison. The perp in that account needs rewarded, especially from an ex-cop. Glad it was done. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we got a we got a cop who's you know molested a nine-year-old girl, and uh, well couldn't keep his mouth shut. And you know what? Speaking of that, a thought came to my mind. as I, I forgot to share it with you when I was on that story. What was his real problem? He kept trying to justify it. How it was okay. You know, justification. Like, oh, she wanted it. Oh, and she was so sweet and so good. And Oh, you know, she just wanted it. And, yeah, excuse me, well, I go throw up. Anyway, but back to Virginia and their forced sterilization. So we have Lewis Reynolds, who doesn't understand what happened to him when he was 13. Well, years later, after getting married, the Lynchburg man discovered he couldn't father children. The reason? He had been sterilized by the state. Reynolds was among more than 7,000 Virginians involuntarily sterilized between 1924 and 1979 under the Virginia Eugenical Sterilization Act. Well, advocates for the surviving victims won a three-year fight Thursday when the Virginia General Assembly budgeted 400 grand to compensate them at the rate of 25 grand each. It's welcome news, Reynolds said. He said, quote, I think they done me wrong. I couldn't have a family like everybody else does. They took my rights away, end quote. 
the AP then goes on to say, eugenics is the now discredited movement, keep that in mind, that sought to improve the genetic composition of humankind by preventing those considered defective from reproducing. Virginia's Sterilization Act became a model for similar legislation passed around the country and the world, including Nazi Germany. Nationwide, 65,000 Americans were sterilized in 33 states, including more than 20,000 in California alone, said Mark Bold, executive director of the Christian Law Institute, which has been advocating the cause for the Virginia victims since 2013. Okay, I have to say, oh really, discredited? If it's so discredited, why does Margaret Sanger's Planned Parenthood still exist under government funding? Why do we have creatures like the Bader Girl in the Supreme Court? Hmm, AP? Yeah, uh, what do you hear? Crickets chirping, exactly. Virginia is the second state to approve compensation for victims in the eugenics program. North Carolina approved payments of 50 grand for each victim in 2013. Now, notice how those in North Carolina are worth two times as much as those in Virginia. Mm hmm, yeah. But the money from the state comes too late for most of those who are sterilized in Virginia, uh, according to Bold. There are only 11 known surviving victims. He said two died in the past year. Those who are left greeted the news with tears and hugs, he said. The Virginia sterilizations were performed at six state institutions, including excuse me, what is now known as the Central Virginia Training Center in Lynchburg. When Reynolds was sterilized there, it was called the Virginia Colony for the Epileptic and Feeble-Minded. Reynolds was presumed to have epilepsy. As it turned out, he was exhibiting temporary symptoms from having been hit in the head with a rock. Reynolds' first wife left him after the couple learned they couldn't have children. He married again, and that time the union lasted. His second wife, Dolores, died seven years ago after a 47-year marriage. There were times, he said, when he and Dolores would cry about their inability to have a family, but nevertheless, he made the best of his life that he had been handed. He joined the Marine Corps. He served in two wars. He was a military policeman and a firearms instructor, at one time teaching FBI agents how to shoot. He manned a 50 caliber machine gun in Korea. He retired from the Corps after 30 years and found work as an electrician. At age 87... He still takes occasional jobs wiring houses. The Virginia Eugenics Law was upheld, get this, upheld in 1927 Supreme Court case of Buck versus Bell, in which Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., you know, the guy who's held up as one of the most shining examples of, of liberal judges on the Supreme Court ever, he wrote for the majority, and he declared, quote, three generations of imbeciles are enough, end quote. And we still have that mindset on the Supreme Court. I refer you back to the Bader girl, okay? Revulsions over the state actions 
brought together lawmakers from across the political spectrum, united in the belief that there was time to write the final page in a shameful chapter. Well, anyway, my friends, that's um, some of the things we've got going on. And it's, and it's because of things like this that whenever people show their undying belief and favor in our benevolent government, I say, oh, the government wouldn't lie to us, would they? And this is just an example of one of the most, one of the most hideous forms of lying. Taking a 13-year-old boy who's suffering the effects of being hit in the head with a rock, and but he goes on to live his life in such a fruitful and productive way, except for one thing. He can't father children because they sterilized him. Yeah, the government would never lie to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, more cop news, if you will. What have I said to you about the police being trained to lie? Mm-hmm. Well, here we go. Bombshell interview. Cop reveals that planting evidence and lying are just part of the game. Yes. Palm Beach County, Florida is our dateline here. Journalists at the D.C. Post were looking through message boards that are frequented by law enforcement officers when they found a post where one officer was casually talking about planting evidence on mouthy drivers and street lawyers. The Post then contacted the officer and conducted an anonymous interview with him where he revealed his disturbing perspective. The officer revealed the illegal and unethical actions that he is proud of taking on the job. The D.C. Post also said that they have verified the officer's position with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Officer's Office, and they have verified many of the claims he has made. The original post was entitled, Tricks of the Trade, Let's, Let's Exchange. And it featured the following method. So here's this guy's original message, my friends. This is a sheriff's deputy, okay? And This is what he posted in his online chat. He said, I have a method for getting people off the street that should not be there. Mouthy drivers, street lawyers, a-holes, except he says it a little differently, and just anyone else trying to make my job difficult. Under my floor mat, I keep a small plastic dime baggie with cocaine and residue. Since it's just residue, if it's ever found during a search of my car, like during an inspection, it's easy enough to explain. It must have stuck to my foot while walking through Sandcastle. Anyways, no one's going to question an empty baggie. The residue is the key because you can fully charge some a-hole with possession of cocaine, heroin, or whatever just with the residue. How do you get it done? I asked Mr. D 
So, for his identification, he pulls out his wallet. I observe a small plastic baggie fall out of his pocket. You get the idea. Easy, right? Best part, those baggies can be found lots of places. So you can always be ready. Don't forget to wipe the baggie on the person's skin after you arrest them because you want their DNA on the bag to say if, if they if they say excuse me if they say you planted it or fight it in court end quote other officers on this message board responded by sharing similar stories about how they falsely arrest people who don't adequately bow to their authority later in the interview when the officer was asked if planting evidence happened regularly within his department, he responded by saying, um, yes, it does, on a regular basis, probably every day in my shift. I work nights on the road patrol in rough, mostly black neighborhood. Planting evidence and lying on your reports are just part of the game, end quote. Then, straight from the horse's mouth, the officer said that his crooked behavior was actually encouraged, are you ready for this, encouraged by the drug war. Continuing this discussion about planning evidence, the officer said, quote, yes, all the time. It's something I see a lot of, whether it's from deputies, supervisors, or undercover, and even investigators. It's almost like you have no emotion with it, that they attach the bodies to it. They're going to be out of jail tomorrow anyway. Nothing's going to happen to them anyway. And one of the consequences of the war on drugs is that police officers are pressured to make large numbers of arrests. And it's easy for some of the less honest cops to plant evidence on innocent people. The drug war inevitably leads to crooked policing, and quotas further incentivize such practices. It doesn't help that your higher-ups all did the same thing when they were on the road. It's like a never-ending cycle, like how molested children accept that it's okay behavior and begin molesting children themselves, end quote. When asked if he would get in trouble, with the police department for framing people, the officer laughed and said that the type of behavior was actually encouraged. He said, quote, our top boss, Sheriff Rick Bradshaw, supports this behavior and has for his entire career. As with anything, it depends on who you know in our agency. Last year, we had three deputies on the TAC unit, Kevin Drummond and Jared Foster, who got caught falsifying information for a warrant. They got a pat on the back, back for a job well done. Just recently, we had a deputy. I think his name was Booth. He was caught completely lying on a car crash. Back a few years ago, our sheriff was involved in a massive cover-up of the death of two black deputies. He hid the report for years. This is only the beginning. The sheriff's been involved in falsification of documents, and his underling, Chief Deputy Michael Gallagher, has been personally involved in an overtime scandal to steal money from the sheriff's office. Does our sheriff know about this behavior? Of course he does. We 
scream and had a judge outright accuse my agency of committing fraud upon the court at a public hearing. She was one of the ones who saw through all the lying and covering up our department does to get away with the internal crime committed by deputies on a regular basis, end quote. Well, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office has no special police department, and this officer is not just a bad apple. The problems that are discussed in this interview are systematic, and they occur in every town across the country. Just this week, we exposed a police department in Missouri whose officers were forced to make arrests or face losing their jobs. Well, this leads to otherwise innocent people being charged on a regular basis. You know, the quotas, right? Also this week, the Free Thought Project conducted a report to show that what happens to cops who try to expose this corruption? You know, the old thin blue line. Well, several officers within the Chicago Police Department were threatened with, quote, going home in a casket, end quote, for exposing the same vile practice within their ranks. You know, my friends, this is why I call them the Thin Blue Line Gang, because that's all they are. They're just a gang of thugs. And when you have the Supreme Court saying over and over again that it's not only okay, but should be encouraged to only hire from the bottom of the cesspool, I mean gene pool, sorry, Freudian slip there, um, this is what we end up with, my friends. And then stack on top of it, the FBI doing the training that tells them that as long as they get convictions, they're above the law. So much so that the Supreme Court says, oh sure, they can even perjure themselves on the stand, just as long as they don't get caught. It's okay. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. I'm looking at the clock. we got enough time to get started. Not finished, but started. You know how much I love lists. Well, here it is. List time from the Libertarian Republic. And you know, as I, as a Libertarian, I love things like this. We have the ten most idiotic quotes from Franklin Deficit Roosevelt. Shall we get started? Sure, let's get started. Number one, ten idiotic quotes. Number one, quote, there seems to be no question that Mussolini is really interested in what we are doing, and I am much interested and deeply impressed by what he has accomplished and by his evidence, honest purpose, of restoring Italy, end quote. Well, this comment was made. Now, context, my friends, context. When you hear the context, now I'm going to give you the context of all ten of these quotes, my friends, and when you hear the context, all of a sudden, as if the quote wasn't bad enough, when you hear the context that it was made in, it's in Infuriating, and yet this man is held up as a saint by libturds all over. So this comment was made by Roosevelt in early 1933, 
and it's hard to tell if he was simply being ignorant of Mussolini's track record or if he really did approve of his oppressive policies. Just for background, my friends, Benito Mussolini, fascist leader of Italy from 1922 to 1943, is considered one of the most brutal leaders in recent world history. During his time as prime minister, he reduced the influence of the judiciary, stifled free press, and arrested political opponents before eventually declaring himself dictator of Italy. Mussolini then banned opposition parties, expelled over 100 members of parliament, enacted the death penalty for political crimes, and increased the amount of secret police activities and abolished local elections. Then, during World War II, Mussolini partnered with Adolf Hitler and Hijotojo of Japan to form the Axis powers. Yet, you heard what? FDR said about him. Mm-hmm. Quote number two. I, yeah, we got enough time to do quote number two. Quote, I just have a hunch that Stalin is not that kind of man. Harry Hopkins says he's not, and that he doesn't want anything except security for his own country. And I think that if I give him everything I possibly can and ask nothing from him in return, noblesse oblige, he won't try to annex anything and will work with me for a world of democracy and peace. One, my friends. Roosevelt also apparently underestimated and was somewhat sympathetic toward Joseph Stalin. The quote made in response to proposed containment against the Soviet Union in 1943 shows that Roosevelt thought quite highly of Stalin's motives and was nearly oblivious to his wicked intentions. Yet another brutal dictator, Stalin's aggressive actions in Europe following World War II would lead to the Soviet Union becoming the U.S.'s biggest rival for the next 40 years. And in addition to the 20 million Soviet troops and civilians who died during World War II, it's estimated another 20 million people died as a direct result of Stalin during his time as ruler. Actually, my friends, I dispute that figure. I believe that it's more than twice that number died as a direct result of Stalin during his time as ruler because I know that there was one whole region of the country. He starved to death, and that one region alone was 10 million people. Anyway, you're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back.
warning. If you're here to feel good about government, if you believe... Those are God's gift to man. This show is... Proper place where those beliefs need disposal of. Your warning. Your best friend facts to And welcome back to the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. Oh my goodness, my lady is uh, displaying for me a very nice top that she just got. And I'm just, uh, hang on, i got to reel my tongue back in. Anyway, it's still Monday, March 2nd, 2015. It is the 4 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. And if you're listening to some other time zone, obviously you're going to have to uh, adjust your clock accordingly. And in case you don't know who this is, this is... Your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor, and still all around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Why? Well, because I do things like we got started at the last uh, part of uh, the last half hour here, and that is a list of the top ten most idiotic quotes of Franklin Deficit Roosevelt, and we got through the top two. Now let's do the bottom seven, shall we? And and mind you, for those of you that weren't with us, these are not just the quotes, but the context that the quotes were made within. So when you hear the context that they were made within, they become even more idiotic, as if that's possible. So here we go. Number three, quote, in my inaugural, I laid down the simple proposition that nobody is going to starve in this country. It seems to me to be equally plain that no business which depends for existence on paying taxes than living wages to its workers has any right to continue in this country, end quote. Well, this quote from 1933 reveals just how little Roosevelt thought of private businesses and what they deemed to be necessary to survive, despite economic realities. Roosevelt felt or thought that every business should supply a living wage and perhaps, um, uh, and perhaps even more striking that any businesses that did not or could not supply such a wage had no right to exist. You know, this populist exclamation shows complete economic illiteracy and neglects the many entry-level jobs which are never meant to serve such a purpose as granting a living. In fact, some jobs return to employers such a small amount that it would require that they go into the red in order to pay a living wage. Number four, quote, great accumulations of wealth cannot be justified on the basis of personal and family security. In the last analysis, such 
accumulations amount to the perpetuation of great and undesirable concentration of control in the relatively few individuals over the employment and welfare of many, many others, end quote. Well, once again, Roosevelt strikes a very socialist tone with his remarks. In this address to Congress in 1935, he decries the rich and wonders for what reason they need so much money when they could instead be used by government for much more benevolent purposes. In the same address, Roosevelt would suggest that in addition to the estate tax, there should be inheritance succession and legacy taxes, as well as gift taxes to avoid evasion. This kind of class warfare is familiar and is regularly spouted by modern-day libturds. Number five, we're halfway through the list here. Number five. power to a point where it becomes stronger than their democratic state itself. That, it, that, in its essence, is fascism. Ownership of government by an individual, by a group, end quote. Well, in this message to Congress in 1938, Roosevelt fearmongers about a day when private power becomes stronger than government. Oddly enough, isn't this the way which the Fed founders crafted the republic? Isn't government supposed to be beholden to private individuals rather than the other way around? Perhaps the most amazing part of this quote is its irony. Fascism is defined by Dictionary.com as, quote, a governmental system led by a dictator, having complete power, forcibly suppressing opposition and criticism, regimenting all industry, commerce, etc., and by emphasizing an aggressive nationalism and often racism, end quote. Well, this definition is eerily similar to the kind of government that was in place during FDR's presidency. Now, there's irony for you. Number six, quote, taxes, after all, are the dues that we pay for the privileges of membership in an organized society, end quote. Well, paraphrasing from Supreme Court Justice, again, that racist, bigoted idiot, Oliver Wendell Holmes, in a 1936 address in Massachusetts, Roosevelt spouts one of the most common fallacies in modern libturd thought, that there is greatness and patriotism in taxation. This belief that we must pay burdensome taxes in order to maintain any sort of modern civilization is old and tired. The American Revolution was fought due to the strong attitudes against the burdens of taxation. To legitimize taxes as some sort of minor inconvenience and trivial infringement upon liberty, which is what 
is truly necessary to maintain order is downright intellectually dishonest. Number seven, quote, not only our future economic soundness, but the very soundness of our democratic institutions depends upon the determination of our government to give employment to idle men, end quote. Well, in this fireside chat from 1938, Roosevelt uses yet another liberal economic fallacy in a rather dramatic fashion. Public works projects are some of the most popular government investments among the general public. However, their usefulness as a step toward economic improvement is a tenuous argument at best. The government must take more from taxpayers so that they may pay new public workers whose jobs will provide only temporary employment. Public works were a central part of the New Deal, a program whose lack of success is well documented. Furthermore, it's fair to say that future economic soundness and our democratic institutions, as Roosevelt called them, depend upon thousands of factors more important than inefficient government programs like public works, most notably overall liberty. You know, hello, what a concept. Quote, you issue an executive order here for your group of blacks, and the polls are going to call for one. And you're going to have this group and that group calling for one. And there'll be no end to it. Now, I'm willing to see to it that these jobs are opened up, and I think that we can do that. But I can't issue any executive order, end quote. Well, as much as FDR cared for public works, such enthusiasm apparently didn't translate when it came to disfavored groups. Roosevelt had long taken action to discourage protests by black Americans against discrimination, including Jim Crow laws in the South. He sent spies to the movement and wiretapped their offices and when the leader of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, A. Philip Randolph, had his request for an end to discriminatory government policies rejected by Roosevelt, he threatened to stage a march on Washington, wanting to prevent such an action. Roosevelt was willing to negotiate. Randolph asked for an executive order guaranteeing black Americans jobs, to which Roosevelt responded with the insensitive quote that I just gave you. Number nine of ten, quote, the only concession I might make to him, the him being King Saud, is to give him the six million Jews we have in the United States, end quote. Well, Roosevelt made this very anti-Semitic statement during the February 1945 Yalta Conference with Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin and British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Roosevelt was scheduled to meet with the Arabian despot king, Ibn Saud, for the conference, leaving Stalin to ask Roosevelt what concessions he might make to Ibn Saud regarding the Middle East. This quote shows both Roosevelt's ignorance and his complete disregard for the seriousness of the Holocaust, which was, after all, 
still occurring at the time. And finally, number 10, quote, I don't care so much about the Italians. They're just a lot of opera singers. Different. They may be dangerous. Well, there is so much racism and absurdity contained in this one quote. While it may at first appear as a playful joke, the context makes this quote even more dark and sadistic. It was made in response to a plan to intern Germans and Italians living in the U.S., as was done with Japanese Americans. Roosevelt generalizes and stereotypes millions without any apparent regard for the implications of what he's saying. And there you go, my friends, the top most psychopathic quotes from Franklin Deficit Roosevelt. Okay, links of interest. For those of you that are new listeners to the show, links of interest are things that, uh, they're important. I think you should be aware of them, but I just don't have the time to go through them all. Well, I just don't want to throw them away, so here we go. I put them in the links of interest, 25 and 26. I can't think of a better guy for catching all this flack. Yep. Uh, Al Sharpton is named in a $20 billion Hollywood racial discrimination lawsuit. And number 25, uh, more Sharpton news, daughter of choking victim Eric Garner shares her true feelings about Al Sharpton in a hidden video. It's not really complimentary to Al Sharpton, you know, and it's, it's Kind of great watching, but it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Number 24, prosecutors say there's not enough evidence that cops who shot an unarmed man 16 times as he lay in bed acted with malice. There's not enough evidence to show that. Yeah, of course they didn't act with malice. After all, he was offensively snoring. Yeah, that yeah, 16 times shot in his bed while snoring. Mm-hmm. But there's no malice. Number 23, if this news surprises you, then you might want to check your pulse. Mounting evidence shows that the U.S. does not want the Islamic State defeated. Number 22, Edward Snowden's libertarian moment, quote, we will remove from governments the ability to interfere with our rights, end quote. Mm-hmm. Two. 21, fascism much? Beef producers say Obama is trying to kill their industries, telling Americans what to eat. Mm-hmm. 20, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You've heard that old expression. Well, if this story surprises you, then again, I suggest you check your pulse. Yep, the chickens are coming home to roost. Jeremiah Wright's daughter is being sent to prison. Uh-huh. Number 17, rhino much? Mmm. Senator Lindsey Graham says, 
I have no doubt that Obama loves American and is, and is a patriot. Yeah. Like I said, rhino much? 16, Black Lives Matter? Question mark? Hmm. Milwaukee Sheriff says if people truly believe Black Lives Matter, they should protest abortion. 15, this news story brings up an excellent point about the law in North Carolina and other places. And that point, that if the surviving thief in this story is caught, and I don't know if he has been or not, he will be charged with capital murder because he was involved in a crime that ended in a death. And it doesn't matter that the one who died was his partner in crime. A story about a North Carolina homeowner who shoots and kills an intruder. The other one got away. For 14. Well, most question mark, most transparent administration ever, anyone? State Department, director of counterterrorism programs, arrested for soliciting sex with a minor, yet getting them to admit it or the lamestream media to report it. Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Yes, because we have the most transparent administration ever. Yeah, right. Thirteen, talk about inverted thinking. You know, I really have to wonder how this lady finds her rear end to wipe after taking a dump. Shannon Watts saying that campus carry will increase sexual assaults. Uh, Yeah, wow. Okay, number 12, but of course. Police union boss say that cops are justified in shooting a 12-year-old who's retreating from them. Yeah, of course he would say that. Eleven, what did I tell you? How can you tell the difference between the Republicrats and the Demon Pubs? Hmm? Mitch McConnell surrenders. Conservatives are outraged. Like I said, I keep telling you, how can you tell the difference? You can't, my friend. Number 10, while this sounds good on its face, Diane Frankenstein is involved, though. I'm very suspicious because she wants to, quote unquote, close the terrorist gun loophole. Like I said, Sounds good on its face. I'm really suspicious, and you should be suspicious too. Number nine, this will be an interesting showdown. Yes, did you know that D.C., Washington, D.C. residents by a 70% margin voted to legalize pot in D.C.? Well, Congress has made it very clear that if the city officials try to implement it, they will be sent to federal prison for doing so. It doesn't matter if the will of the people, they voted for it. You know, it doesn't matter. If they implement it, they'll be sent to prison. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. Number eight. So, many of these I've shared with you in the past. 
any of these quotes here. But this is a nice compilation from several sources. 40 mind-blowing quotes from B.O. about Islam and Christianity. Like I said, I've shared so many of them with you, but it's a real nice compilation. Number seven, news on the real cost of illegals in this country, where a father whose son was murdered by illegal immigrants calls a well, – they call it immigrants. There we go. It's not an immigrant. It's illegal. You know, it's not an immigrant. But anyway, calls upon Congress to rethink their policies. Number six, I so feel for this kid, which brings up the point. If you have a gifted child, then WTF are you doing with them in a public school? And it's a first grader who's told not to do cursive until the third grade, and the mother's response to it is just legendary, my friends. Four and five, it is so freaking easy to obtain convictions already, and they want to lower the threshold more. Holder wants to make it easier to convict Americans of hate crimes. And, of course, the next one, of course, Sharpton has to stick his ugly mug into the debate, saying that we must lower threshold for federal hate crimes. So two different stories, same subject, but from two different uh, people, points of view, etc. And finally, number one, climate news. B, who would have thunk? You know, who would have thunk? Wow, the sun, the sun shining up in the sky, it might affect our climate. Oh, but don't worry. It only happens in the daytime. Sarcasm. And it's a report on the study that the sun has more impact on the climate, you know, and but who would have thunk such a thing, you know? Gee, wow, really? Okay, critical thinking segment, my friends. This is a segment here where I try and bring up something to really help you hone your critical thinking skills, okay? First off, let's do a little review here. Valerie Jarrett has served as a senior advisor to BO since his inauguration. And it's true that a number of former White House staffers like Press Secretary Robert Gibbs and Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel reportedly resigned or were fired after run-ins with Jarrett, as the rumors claim. Well, the press has also had an uncomfortable relationship with Valerie Jarrett, with a number of news outlets reporting it's not exactly clear what she does in the White House. The political reports, quote, for starters, even today, nobody knows precisely what Jarrett does in the White House. What exactly do her titles, senior advisor to the president, assistant to the president in charge of office and intergovernmental affairs, the office of public engagement, the White House Council on Women and Girls, what do these mean? More to the point, Jarrett has often used the aura of authority that these titles give her to stand in the way of talented White House staffers and a smoother-running administration, according to several books that have been written about the B.O. presidency, end quote. So, Valerie Jarrett has a number of well-documented run-ins with 
former White House staffers and has faced questions about what exactly her role in the Obama administration is. So, with that in mind, a little statement from Valerie, shall we? And here comes the critical thinking part. She says, quote, I am an Iranian by birth and of my Islamic faith. I am also an American citizen, and I seek help change America to become more Islamic country. My faith guides me, and I feel like it's going well in the transition of using freedom of religion in America against itself, end quote. That's what she said to Stanford University. is the little woman behind B.O. To think about, my friends. To think about. That's what we got going on. Okay. We come back from the break. We're going to have the Roy's School of Guerrilla Lawfare. That's L-A-W for Learn and Win Through a Better Education. And you know... For years, my friends, I have been telling you that we do not deal in conspiracy theories on this show. We deal in conspiracy facts. And what am I going to do? I'm going to show you how. In 1967, the CIA created the label of conspiracy theorists. And what did they create this label for? Why, to attack anyone who challenges the official narrative. You know, the daily soap opera? Yeah. So if you challenge the official narrative, you see, you are now a conspiracy theorist. And because of that, you're a kook, oddball, outcast, etc., etc. Well, I'm going to show you, my friends, how the term conspiracy theorist, or actually the concept of conspiracy theorist, how it used to be accepted as normal. But it took the CIA to change that. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. Organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189 and our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome and cooling tubes and the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Strife. The FCC sees being used commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can... satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. And welcome back to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, Emroy Ben Shadler constitutional counselor and still pain in the rear end of bureaucrats and pity thugs everywhere. As promised, this is the segment of the show. We turn off the phones, we turn off the instant messages, and we focus on something that is of very importance to your life, your livelihood, and your liberty, my friends. And this week in the Roy School of Guerrilla Lawfare, LAW, for Learn and Win Through a Better Education, I'm going to tell you, like I said, about how in 1967 the CIA created the label conspiracy theorist to attack anyone who challenges the official narrative. Now, this is from a blog, my friends. So it's a little tiny bit disjointed, but I tried to clean it up and make it cleaner uh, to read and understand. And what I couldn't do is pull in the huge amount of documents that are available online, and the link is here in the show newsletter, um, that from the CIA supporting and showing what's being said in the blog itself, from things that have 
has been declassified, okay? Well, let's get started. Conspiracy theorists used to be accepted as normal. After all, democracy and free market capitalism were founded on conspiracy theories. You know, the Magna Carta, the Constitution, and the Declaration of Independence, and other founding Western documents were based on conspiracy theories. Greek democracy and free market capitalism were also based on conspiracy theories. But those were the bad old days. Things have now changed, and it all changed in the 60s. The CIA coined the term conspiracy theorist in 1967. Specifically, in April 1967, the CIA wrote a dispatch which coined the term conspiracy theories and recommended methods for discrediting such theories. The dispatch was marked psych short for psychological operations or disinformation, and CS for the CIA's clandestine services unit. The dispatch was produced in response to a Freedom of Information Act requested by the New York Times in 1976. Yes, it's taken that long, my friends this kind of information to percolate up through to finally make it out like it is here today on the American Voice Radio Network by yours truly taking that bloody long. My friends mean when that when that was done by the New York Times. I just had my fifty fourth figure it out. The dispatch stated, among other things, this trend of opinion is a matter of concern to the U.S. government, including our organization. The aim of this dispatch is to provide material countering and discrediting the claim of the conspiracy theorists so as to inhibit the circulation of such claims in other countries. Background information is supplied in a classified section and a number of unclassified attachments. Actions. We recommend that discussion of the conspiracy question be initiated where it is not already taking place. Where discussion is active, addresses are requested, such as to discuss the publicity problem with and friendly elite contacts, especially politicians and editors, pointing out that the official investigation of the relevant event made as thorough an investigation as humanly possible, that the charges of the critics are without serious foundation, and that further speculative discussions only plays into the hands of the opposition. Point out that parts of the conspiracy talk appear to be deliberately generated by propagandists urge them to use their influence to discourage unfounded and irresponsible speculation. My friends, it's helped to think throughout my life of how I've heard these exact same terms being used by agents 
rights of the quote-unquote free press, you know, that's supposed to be guarding our liberty. And now we read here that the CIA coined these buzz terms and methods and tactics in 1967. Mainstream media lapped it right up and has been using it against us ever since. Hmm, no wonder, my friends, why this network and this show scares the government so much that they do the tactics that they've done to try to shut this network and specifically your host up. And now, of course, with net neutrality coming down the way, who knows how much longer we'll stay on the air, but I digress. The next point of things to be uh, addressed is to employ propaganda assets to and refute the attacks of the critics. Book reviews and feature articles are particularly appropriate for this purpose. This unclassified attachments to this guideline should provide useful background material for passing to assets. Our ploy should point out, as applicable, that the critics are wedded to theories adopted before the evidence was in, politically interested, financially interested, hasty and inaccurate in their research, or infatuated with their own theories. In private to media discussions, not only directed at any particular writer or in attacking publications, which may be yet forthcoming, The following arguments should be used. A, no significant new evidence has emerged which the commission did not consider. Or B, critics usually overvalue particular items and ignore others. They tend to place more emphasis on the recollections of individual witnesses, which are less reliable and more divergent, and hence offer more handholds for criticism. Or C, Conspiracy on the large scale often suggested would be impossible to conceal in the United States, especially since informants could expect to receive large royalties, etc. Or D, critics have often been enticed by a form of intellectual pride. They light on some small theory and fall in love with it. They also scoff at the commission because it did not always answer every question with a flat decision one way or another or F, as the charges that the commission's report was a rush job, it emerged three months after the deadline originally set, but to the degree that the commission tried to speed up its reporting, this was largely due to the pressure of irresponsible speculation already appearing, in some cases coming from the same critics who refused to admit their errors, are now pointing out new criticism. Do you see the smear job? Exactly, it's exactly what's being done time and time and time again. The same sort of smear job. And see, this is, this is our <clears throat> benevolent government, which, of course, would never lie to us. No, they'd never lie to us. Of course they wouldn't do that. But here they are. They go on. Again, this is from the CIA's watch paper on how to discredit someone to 
smear them as a conspiracy theorist, using vague accusations such as that more than 10 people have died mysteriously, but can always be explained in some way. You know, sir, you know I, I think my friends of the, the guy who was uh, the police officer that I told you about last week, who um, when he was trying to expose what happened at the Alpha Pre Murrah building in Oklahoma City, said, I have to shake these feds off my tail and then I'll be back for dinner, but never came home for dinner. And his car was found, you know, way out in the boondocks and his body mutilated and stabbed and hogtied and a gunshot wound at his head at such an unnatural angle as to be almost physiologically impossible for him to do, and of course no gun at the scene, yet his death was labeled a suicide. You see, it's, see, it was, a, it was natural, it was a suicide. It's a suicide that he's found bound and gagged and stabbed and, and burned over portions of his body and a gunshot wound at a 45 degree angle. I mean, just envision, just put your finger up to your, to your temple and hold it at a 45 degree angle you know, pointing down into your skull, right? And and just imagine, now try holding a gun like that, uh-huh. There's no gun found, but it was natural, you see. So, okay. Next, where possible, counter-speculation by encouraging reference to the commission report itself. Open-minded foreign readers should still be impressed by the air, thoroughness, objectivity, and speed with which the commission worked. Reviewers of other books might be encouraged to add to their own account for the idea that checking back with the report itself, they found it far superior to the work of its critics. Well, summarizing the tactics which the CIA dispatched recommended, claim that it would be impossible for so many people would keep quiet about being such a big conspiracy. Next, have people friendly to the CIA attack the claims and point back to the official reports. Next, claim that eyewitnesses' testimony is unreliable. Next, claim that this is all old news, as no significant new evidence has emerged. Next, Ignore conspiracy claims, unless discussion about them is already too active. Claim that it's irresponsible to speculate. Next, accuse theorists of being wedded to and infatuated with their own theories. Next, accuse theorists of being politically motivated. And finally, accuse theorists of having financial interest in promoting conspiracy theories. In other words, the CIA's clandestine services unit created the arguments for attacking conspiracy theories as unreliable in the 1960s as part of its psychological warfare operations. Well, I hear some people, and I've heard it before, so I can say this. You know, forget Western history and CIA dispatches. Aren't conspiracy theorists just nutty to begin with? Well, in fact, conspiracies are so common that just
judges are trained to look at conspiracy allegations as just another legal claim to be disproven or proven based on the specified evidence. In fact, federal and all 50 states' codes include specific statutes addressing conspiracy and providing the punishment for people who commit conspiracies. But let's examine what the people trained to weigh evidence and reach conclusions think about conspiracy. Let's look at what American judges think. So, searching Westlaw, one of the two primary legal research networks which attorneys and judges use to research the law, search for court decisions, including the word conspiracy. You know what? It's such a common term in lawsuits that it overwhelms Westlaw. What you'll get is a message like this. Your query has been intercepted because it may retrieve a large number of documents. What this means is that there were potentially millions or many hundreds of thousands of cases which used the term. There's so many cases that Westlaw would not even start processing the request. So, narrow it down a little bit. Search for using the phrase guilty of conspiracy. Well, what happened is that it pulled up, you'll pull up exactly 10,000 cases. Why 10,000? That's the maximum number of results Westlaw can give at any one time. In other words, there's more than 10,000 cases using the phrase guilty of conspiracy, and, you know, but they'll only show 10,000. And any attorney can confirm for you. Usually only appeal court decisions are published in the Westlaw database. In other words, my friends, trial court decisions are rarely published. The only decision normally published are those of the courts which hear appeals of the cases. And because only a very small fraction of the cases which go to trial are appealed, this logically means that the number of guilty verdicts in conspiracy cases at trial is much, much larger than 10,000. Moreover, guilty of conspiracy is only one of many possible search phrases. Do a search on Google for guilty of conspiracy. You know what you get? More than 3 million results for that term. And over 600,000 results for the term conviction for conspiracy and 743,000 more than results for convicted for conspiracy. Uh-huh. See, of course, types of conspiracies are called other things altogether. For example, a long-accepted legal doctrine makes it illegal for two or more companies to conspire to fix prices. It's called price fixing. That will get you 1,100,000 plus results on a Google search, my friends. So, given the above, we can extrapolate that there have been hundreds of thousands of convictions for criminals or criminal civil conspiracy in the United States. 
And finally, of course, many crimes go unreported or unsolved, and the perpetrators are never caught. Therefore, the actual number of real conspiracies committed in the U.S. has to be even higher. In other words, conspiracies are committed all the time in the U.S., and many of the conspirators are caught and found guilty by American courts. Remember Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme? It was a conspiracy theory. Indeed, conspiracies are very well-recognized crime in law, taught to every first-year law school student as part of their basic curriculum. So telling a judge that someone has a conspiracy theory would be like telling him that someone is claiming that he trespassed on their property or committed assault or stole his car. It is a fundamental legal concept. So, obviously, conspiracy allegations are false. And if you see a judge at a diner party, you know, ask him to tell you some of the crazy conspiracy allegations which were made in this court. Right. Try it sometime. Obviously, people will either win or lose in court depending on whether or not they can prove their claim with the available evidence, but not all allegations of trespass, assault, or theft are true either. So, proving a claim of conspiracy is no different from providing any other legal claim. And the mere label conspiracy is taken no less seriously by judges just because it's labeled conspiracy. But the CIA? No. That's you can court. Dearest. Huh? So, we have Madoff, we have the heads of Enron, and such all found guilty of conspiracy, and the head of Alfina, and numerous lower-level government officials, all them, all been found guilty of conspiracy in one form or another. In fact, Time Magazine's financial columnist, Justin Fox, writes, some financial market conspiracies are real. <laughs> You know, most good investigative reporters are conspiracy theorists by default. And what about the NSA and the tech companies that have cooperated with them? Hmm? But I hear it out there all the time. Our leaders wouldn't do that. Corporate executives and low-level government officials might have engaged in conspiracies they might be strongly opposed to considering that the wealthiest or most powerful might possibly have done so. Powerful insiders have long admitted to conspiracies. For example, Obama's administrator for the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, Cassis Sunstein, wrote, quote, of course some conspiracy theories under our definition, have turned out to be true. The Watergate hotel room used by Democrat National Committee was, in fact, buzzed by Republican officials operating at the behest of the White House. In the 1950s, the CIA did, in fact, administer LSD and related drugs under Project MK Ultra in an effort to investigate the possibility of 
Mind Control, Operation Northwood, a rumored plan by the Department of Defense to simulate attacks of terrorism and blame them on Cuba, really was proposed by high-level officials. And, well, I hear people's, and the CIA brings it up, you know, someone would have spilled the beans. Well, that common defense, people trying to sidetrack investigations into potential conspiracies, you know, saying someone would have spilled the beans if there was really conspiracy. Well, famed whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg explains it this way, my friends. Quote, it is a commonplace that you can't keep secrets in Washington or in a democracy. No matter how sensitive the secret, you're likely to read it the next day in the New York Times. Well, these truisms are flatly false. They are, in fact, cover stories, a way of flattering and misleading journalists and their readers, part of the process of keeping secrets well. Of course, eventually, many secrets do get out that wouldn't in a fully totalitarian society, but the fact is that the overwhelming majority of secrets do not leak to the American public. This is true even when the information withheld is well known to the enemy and when it's clearly essential to the functioning of the congressional war power and to any democratic control of foreign policy. The reality unknown to the public and most members of Congress and the press is that secrets would be the, of the greatest import to many of them can be kept from them reliably for decades by the executive branch, even though they're known to thousands of insiders. How is this possible? Ellsberg reports and says, as an example, 130,000 people from the U.S., U.K., and Canada worked on the Manhattan Project, but it was kept secret for years. Another example, a BBC documentary shows that there was a, quote, planned coup in the United States in 1933 by a group of right-wing American businessmen. The coup was aimed at toppling President FDR with the help of half a million war veterans. The plotters who were alleged to involve some of the most famous families in America. You know, the owners of Heinz, Bird's Eye, Good Tea, Maxwell House, and George Bush's grandfather, Prescott. And they believed that their country should adopt the policies of Hitler and Mussolini to beat the Great Depression. But you never heard about it, did you? Moreover... In another conspiracy, the tycoons told General Butler that the American people would accept a new government because they controlled the newspapers. Have you heard of this conspiracy before? Well, it's certainly a very large one. If the conspirators controlled the newspapers, then how much worse is it today with media consolidation? You get the idea, my friends? This blog goes on, and obviously I'm not going to have time to finish it, but you get the idea. When I say I deal in conspiracy fact, because it's a fact that there are conspiracies out there, and it's a legally established precedent that there are conspiracies for crying out loud. 
they convicted yours truly for engaging in a conspiracy without showing that there was anything involved in in the conspiracy. But we engaged in a conspiracy, just no crime committed, except that we engaged in a conspiracy to commit a non-crime. Go figure that one out, if you can. Good luck with that. But you see, expose these things. And for that, we now see from this blog here showing how the CIA has systematically, since the late 60s, developed a system of protocols, which we can read from this blog and see that system of protocols and then watch the news exactly what they were talking about in the late 60s. It doesn't matter what the subject is. It doesn't matter whether it's a, blue, a white stain on a blue dress from the Oval Office or uh, Exxon Valdez or, or, or Obama and, and Obamacare and Valerie Jarrett. It doesn't matter. Same methods of discrediting them. Be whiz. Where did it start? Because our founding fathers were the ultimate in conspiracy theorists. Read the Declaration of Independence if you need verification of that. It reads like a list of conspiracy charges in and of itself. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Constitutional Crusader Show. My God, my friends, these two hours have flown by fast. Until next week, unless the creek rises or they come take me away again, my fellow Americans, keep your powder dry. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR 2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR 2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. Organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. 
It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulphur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. And welcome once again to another edition of the Contenders for the Faith radio broadcast. I am Pastor Anthony Gorsi, broadcasting to you live from the very balmy state of Arizona. That's right, it's about 70 degrees out there and sunny. We are just suffering for Jesus. That's all I can say. Just suffering for Jesus out here. You folks out in the Midwest, up there in the Northeast, oh, just keep shoveling. That's all I can say. I'm sure. I'm sure that it'll all pass. Um, oh, wait. Poxitani Phil saw his shadow. So, yep. oh, well. Several more weeks of winter for you guys. But uh, us out here, I was looking at the weather just a few minutes ago, and it's still looking good. And, uh, and I'm glad for that because we've got our meetings coming up just right around the corner. And, uh, man, 
balmy weather is perfect for our fellowship meetings, our 20th annual Mogollon Baptist Fellowship meetings, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. Folks, if you just tuned in, you're listening to the Contenders for the Faith on the prestigious American Voice Radio, and I am Pastor Anthony Grissy. We're a show that's dedicated to tackling controversy and conspiracy directly related to Christianity, and we do all this from a biblical perspective because we believe the Bible is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice, from politics to pop culture. We'll deal with all of it. We believe the Bible has all the answers, and, uh, and we believe it is. Well, we may not find all the answers in the Bible, but it's there. We're just, you know, it's our finite brain, and uh, it's an inexhaustible book. The only ones who think they can exhaust this inspired book are those that think they can correct it or think they're smarter than the one who wrote it, which that's just sad. It's depressing, but for them that is because they're going to be held accountable to it, and uh, you just can't get everything in that book by one cursory glance. You've got to read it, and you've got to put a lifetime into it. A lifetime. <laughs> oh, you're right, LT. Um, I've got to say this about where we live. Because LT says, don't complain when it's 115 degrees in August. That is only down in the valley. We live in the mountains, so we don't get 115-degree weather. We're lucky if we get 100-degree weather. We're just in God's country up here. We praise the Lord for that. Wow. And, you know, every once in a while we might get a freak summer, you know, meltdown where we might get 105 uh, for about a week or maybe two weeks. I think the most we ever had was about three weeks of it, and, uh, and that was pretty warm. But we stayed pretty much in the high 90s uh, up here in God's country, and then the weather's perfect during the uh, moderate temperature seasons and all that and so on and so forth. But enough of the weather, folks. We are a show that's dedicated to tackling the harder topics and sometimes not so hard, but uh, we do it from a biblical perspective because we believe that book is truly the answer for all of life's problems, and we believe we have that book. We believe we have that book in our possession today, a pure, inexhaustible, inerrant word of God that we can read. And and I'm not just making that up so you, you know, you'll appreciate when I start talking about it, because a lot of preachers do that. They know better. There's ulterior motives when they don't admit to their crowds that the book is not perfect. They know that those old-timers in there, if they saw the preacher stand up there and say, now, we got a pretty good idea that it's almost perfect, but not quite, and we're not sure where it's at, but when we find it, we'll definitely correct it for you ignorant bumpkins. Most people aren't going to put up with that. They need to have their ears tickled with, this is the pure word of God, you know, even though the preacher doesn't believe it. This preacher believes it, and I may be a nutcase in some people's eyes, and I always wonder why it makes some people mad when I tell them, I believe the King James Bible is the perfect word of God, perfect from cover to cover. No, I, I, it's perfect. I don't question one word in it. If there's an inconsistency in my eyes, then it's just my eyes. All right? Time to get glasses. Time for revival. As I think the song says, if when you read it you find something wrong, there's something wrong with you. And I believe that. And that drives guys crazy. It drives them nuts. You know, you get these educated elite. And, and, and I'm not against education. I believe you ought to be as educated as you possibly can. Amen. But education doesn't necessarily mean wisdom. And that's very important to note. 
A lot of times just means arrogance and more stupidity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, you, you get around these, these, these very cultured crowds, you know, and, and they're like, you're, you're not one of those crazy guys that actually believe there is a perfect Bible for the common people to read. Could you imagine what that would do to our pocketbooks? They don't no longer need us to interpret it? We've got to keep the people in the dark. <laughs> I add that sinister laugh because it should be a part of those guys. It should be a part of their messages. <laughs> Trust me, I will never lead you astray. Let me correct your Bible for you. Why don't they just add, you stupid morons who couldn't spend the money that I spent for my brain, and now I will crack it open and display it for all, so you may bow and worship before it. That's why it bothers people so badly. It bothers people so badly that you believe that precious book. Take it literally. Oh. How crazy can you get? And if you're looking for preaching like that, folks, then I want to encourage you to come to our fellowship meetings. It's our 20th annual Muggion Baptist Fellowship Meetings, and it's right around the corner. You are invited. Yes, you are invited. Come on down. We're going to have a great time. It's February 22nd through the 25th, and uh, we've got plenty of hotels in town. It's not one of those holiday weeks, so the prices will be reasonable. I think I saw one of the hotels, Nights Inn, was advertising $39 a night. That's a pretty good deal for up here. Um, <clears throat> that's a pretty good deal. And uh, get yourself a hotel, or if you beg and plead, I might find a place for you to stay somewhere on the property. I've got tons of people staying with us already. It'll be a great time. We've got Pastor Keith Hoover of the Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church in Union City, Indiana. You've heard his father if you listen on Tuesday nights at this same time right here on the American Voice Radio Network. He is the host of the Covenanters Call radio broadcast. He's been on long before me, and he's the one that got me on the air. Uh, anyhow, so uh, his son will be preaching for us. And then Evangelist Stephen Perkins, uh, he'll be preaching for us. Pastor Dan Zeick uh, the Old Paths Historic Baptist Church in Tualatin, Oregon, he'll be preaching for us. And uh, Missionary John Kiefler, he'll be up here to preach for us. Lots of good brethren will be here to fellowship with us. Great food, great food, great times. You don't want to miss it. All right? So look us up. We're right here in the great city of Payson, Arizona. And uh, our address is 303 West Main Street. If you want to write to us, you can go ahead and uh, snail mail us, P.O. Box 8, Payson, Arizona, 85547, or you can email me. I'll give you the email address in the second half of the broadcast. Good to see everybody in the chat room. I see Frank. There's me, Italiano, too. That's me. So if you post anything towards me, um, I'll try to address it if I'm paying attention. All right, Andrew, Uncle Nick, good to see you, Uncle Nick. Uh, hey, Uncle Nick, you are invited to our meetings, all right? And if you show up, you get to preach because he's my Uncle Nick, and I have to have him preach. He's technically my wife's Uncle Nick, but it, you know, we're married. We're one, so he's our – and besides that, he's Italian, so – Hey, man, I can't hold back an Italian. They come in town, they got to preach. Uh, Manalishi KJV Antioch J. I don't know why you had to put the J there. I don't know what that stands for, but I get the Antioch and KJV and uh, good name. And then there's Slimbo. That's a good name, too, I guess. Ah, there you go, Slimbo. I wonder if he's Slimbo. Anyways, 
jump in the chat room on the American Voice Radio website and give yourself a name or a fake name, and then you guys can uh, chat away in the chat room, and I'll do my best to uh, address what's in there if it's related to the topic of the hour. And topic of the hour, I just can't ignore this. I got to get back on the measles thing for just a brief moment. This is I've been I've warned our church folks about this. I've uh, I think it's important as a pastor to address these issues to your church folks. I do not tell our church folks to not get vaccines. I don't do that. All right? I'm going to leave that in the hands of the parents. But I am going to inform them that I do not trust the vaccines. All right? Uh, I, I believe that there is some validity to the, um, the concept, and, and I, might even, I might even give it a break if they take the toxicity out of the uh, vaccines, which is a great threat to your health system. I mean, look at the side effects. Look at the side. I don't want formaldehyde in my child's body, and I certainly don't want mercury in my child's body. But it's in those uh, vaccines, and it is preservatives. These things are there to preserve the vaccine. So I understand why they put it there. It's money. It's always been about money, folks. It's the almighty dollar. They put it in there so that uh, they can keep these things on the shelf a lot longer. Um, which it doesn't matter to them if it's at, at risk of your child's mental stability or health. Oh, there we go. I appreciate that explanation. Um, and, of course, Frank is posting a good thing here. In 1990, autism was 1 in 555 kids. In 2013, it's 1 in 50. And all of these things are good. We've talked about this. Many of the hosts on the American Voice Radio have dealt with this uh, far more in detail than I have. And um, so I'm preaching to the choir on this, all right? I am preaching to the choir on this. But I've, I've just, just inform me, I don't tell our church folks what not to do. I know that there are some folks that just, they, they buy into it. They've got, they go ahead and get the shots, and I think it's a risk. It's kind of like a Russian roulette risk. In fact, a local doctor in our town, Dr. Hunt, um, a very kind lady, and uh, we've, we've had chats with her. She actually wrote an article for our local rag, and she said, yes, there's side effects. Yes, there's side effects in um, the vaccines. We all know that, but the risk is worth it when you consider how bad measles really are. And, um, and that's how most doctors handle this. Uh, well, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the side effects. It's not so bad. Well, doctor, please explain to me. Please explain to me. Thank you, LT. Another good post. Folks, you've got to jump into the chat room. You gotta jump into the chat room, check these things out. A lot of folks are posting good stuff here. Anyways, um, uh, yeah, doctors will sit there and they'll comfort the parent and they'll say, "Well, now, now listen. It, 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 yes, you could have a mental stroke or a mental problem after this. You could have swelling on the brain. It is a side effect. It's possible. Uh, yes, you could have a stroke. Hey, you could even die. But don't worry about that. It's rare." Yes, but it could happen. It could happen, and I don't want my child to get that cylinder on the pistol, the loaded cylinder. As they spin the cylinder, put the gun to your head, I don't want that. But i, I got to read this to you. This is, um, this is very interesting to me. Uh, it said here, this is local. This was a, uh, one of the uh, local articles that was sent to me. It says here, measles outbreak spreads to three more states. And Washington, D.C., oh, Lord help us. It's got to be in the thousands by now, right? 
Yes, 121 people now affected. I you know, Look, I know that these things can spread. I get that, and it could very well just blow way out of proportion. But look, after 10 to 12 days of being exposed to it, all right, you break out. And if they say that many people were affected or infected by uh, the measles um, virus, then we should see far more. We got 121 people with measles in all of these states altogether. Three billion people in this country, and they are literally calling us unvaccinated people, biological terrorists? Folks, this is not an outbreak. Well, you'll be singing a different tune when it reaches, God help us all, 200. (laughs) Last year, there were 600 individuals in our country. But by those numbers, folks, we should have have had some sort of legislation passed by now. And, hey, don't – don't get too arrogant out there, folks. They just might. They just, folks, this is not an epidemic yet. I mean, people are freaking out about this. We're going to cut them off with their heads. Ah, anyhow, I, ca- I can't help but just bring this up. Again, folks, this is a manufactured panic. A manufactured panic. Listen, I I said this last week. I'm going to say it again before I move on to the NASCAR uh, uh, driver, Daryl Waltrip. I've got to say something about him. All right? This is manufactured. Now, listen, folks. If it's not about the money, if it's not about the money, I said this last week, then these guys shouldn't be making a profit. Now, I understand capitalism. I agree with that. I don't have a problem with capitalism, right? But capitalism without Christ, we've got problems, and you've got greed. Without that moral check, then you have problems. And look at our country, and you'll see. So naturally the reaction will be socialism because they don't have Christ either. So without Christ as the solution, capitalism becomes the monster. Now, you can't tell me that the pharmaceuticals are losing anything. For every commercial that pushes this panic, Drudge Report, Drudge, I mean, that's what he, come on, folks, that's what he keys on. Put shock articles up there. Put the word sex up there. Put the word death up there. Disease, lie, and, and people, oh, I got to look at that. I got I to gotta look at that. And measles outbreak. Are you kidding me? Oh, I don't want that. 121 people. And the pharmaceutical companies, the manufacturers, they are making a profit, folks. This isn't just cost. I know people who do things at cost. There's a Christian clinic in our town that does things at cost, all right? And, and they struggle. They really do struggle. Right? But see, the reason why they do things at cost, and I know that if you do things at cost, it's not really going to benefit you in the long run. I understand that. But the reason why they're doing it, and this, this is in all sincerity, they say this. Well, you know, it's because we actually care about your health. Uh, you think you'll get that from the pharmaceutical companies? No siree. They say, yeah, but you can get it free. You can get it free. Yeah, think about how you get it free. First of all, you've got to get that government access. That government access. Once you get the government access, folks, 
Once you get government health care, then they can really start putting the pressure on you for control, and it just goes on and on. You can't tell me this isn't the agenda. They don't lose. The more measles we have in this country, the more money they make. That's how it is, and I'm not laughing about it. <laughs> you know, cop says, well, I, you know, I make my money on your crisis. Actually, he doesn't. You make your money on our taxes, all right? And, uh, well, you know, the, the doctors, we make money on your crises. Yeah, I know. I know. So admit that this is more about money than it is about our, our health care. Because the death rate is just simply not – it's just not there. The facts don't back it up. Well, you don't want people to die of measles. Well, listen, those that have died of measles, the fact of the matter is there's an underlying health problem with it. Somewhere down the line, either they're babies or they got a weak immune uh, system and, and so on and so forth. You know, when we say that, they, I mean, they'll scream that you, you're misrepresenting the facts. But, but, but now listen, this is what they do. When you bring up the fact that people die of vaccines, which they do, okay, um, you know, they say, well, there was probably an underlying health condition that would cause such a thing. You see how it is? It's, if, it's, if it's good for the goose, you don't get to have it if you're the gander. It's only the goose that gets it. And we've been goosed, folks. We have been goosed. The facts simply don't line up with the side of the medical mainstream uh, monsters out there. And I know you doctors out there, some of you, you probably, you probably do care about people. But then read the facts. Stop just buying the party line. You keep accusing us of buying the party line. Well, why don't you admit the facts? I wouldn't have a problem with them pushing these shots if they just tell the truth. Tell the truth about it. Well, listen, it's a Russian roulette thing, you know. You get it. You could have some side effects, and it could be dangerous for your child. Or it could help. You know, I'm just telling you that right now. You think they'd say that? No, sir. There's too much money on the line. Too much money on the line. And I don't want my child to be the one that's dealing with health issues because the doctor says, well, it looks like your child was the one that had the underlying health conditions. Sorry, but you can't sue me for it. Isn't that something? Daryl Waltrip, NASCAR. Hey, I told you we'd talk about politics and pop culture. Daryl Waltrip. I have to say this. Kudos to NASCAR and kudos to Daryl Waltrip. I'm not – I don't like NASCAR. I really don't. I just – I don't get a thrill out of seeing cars go around in a circle or even a circle eight. Uh, I, I just – I don't get a kick out of it. I saw a Onion News. It's their, they do satire, and everyone saw it. It's just hilarious. They actually did a video. It was a spoof, and what they, what they did was they said, we want to give you an inside look of a coach instructing a driver in his headphones at a NASCAR race. And it was the funniest thing. I've, you could hear him saying, turn right, turn right, turn right. All right, go straight, 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 right, 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 straight, straight, or, you know, whatever. It was pretty silly to me. Now, I know there's more details that go into it. I'm not. I'm not disregarding the skill that it takes to drive one of those cars 200 miles an hour in a circle or in circle eight or any other direction you want to do it. There's, there's skill involved. I believe that, all right? 
but I just I don't I don't see an interest. And but, but before you get mad at me, folks, I know some of you don't like baseball. I like baseball. It's just what you grow up with. The only thing worse, I think, than that NASCAR might be cricket. Okay. Um, yeah. Now that I don't know how any fan could sit and watch a game for eight hours, but I guess there are diehards out there, and it's Europe, so. What do you expect? Anyways, NASCAR legend at National Prayer Breakfast. I wish I got to talk. I, I had the opportunity to talk about this last week, but I didn't. I didn't get a chance because this happened after our show. But NASCAR legend at National Prayer Breakfast tells Obama, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. That tickles me a lot. I love it. Folks, you know, with all the bad news out there, this one was good. This is good news right here. I mean, I wish I could have been there. Ooh, moments like this, you just can't pass up. Uh, this is an ecumenical prayer breakfast, and it's got leaders like the Dalai Lama there. <laughs> yeah. If anybody deserved to hear this message, it is him, a hellbound sinner. Or Obama, our president. This is good news to me, but Darrell Waltrip was the keynote speaker at uh, this um, national prayer breakfast. And, of course, when you hear something like that, you know the guy's a Christian, quote-unquote. You expect him to somehow waffle. And maybe he did after his little message, but, man, he nailed it right between the eyes. Sitting just feet, or just a few feet away from the president, former NASCAR driver and Hall of Famer Darrell Waltrip gave his Christian testimony to an audience that included the Dalai Lama. Waltrip said this, and I quote, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are going to hell. Waltrip spoke about how Jesus transformed his life. He told the audience that before he was saved, it was all about him. He said, I quote, I did everything to satisfy me, he said. Then he was in a severe crash during a race and everything changed. He said, I realized that wreck knocked me conscience. Waltrip said, it scared the, and of course he used the word hell there, out of me. But he said this, I mean that literally. I realized, what if I had lost my life that day at Daytona? Would I have to go to heaven, or would I have gone to hell? I thought I was a good guy, but folks, let me tell you something. Oh, that guy just loves this. Let me tell you something. Good guys go to hell. Oh, I mean, folks. What? What is just that statement alone? Without Jesus Christ, you go to hell. You know how much of a dividing line that is. Without Christ, you know how much an offense it is. We um, here at uh, Pace and First Baptist. Actually, we're coming up to the break, so I won't tell you that story. I'm not going to jump ahead a little bit. I, I don't want to. I want to get ahead of this uh, of my monologue here. Um, or dialogue, excuse me. Second half, I'll explain. We had an experience here at our church on Saturday night. That kind of lines up with what Daryl Waltrip said. Can you imagine the Dalai Lama kind of shifting in his seat, though, folks? Oh, I'd have loved to have seen it. I'd have loved to have seen our president just squirm a little. Of course, being the president, he had to shoot him down, and uh, everybody's heard what he said there. So we'll talk a little bit about that in the second half of the broadcast. Stay tuned.
Few things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. I'm walking 
the second half of the broadcast. I am Pastor Anthony Grissom. You're listening to the contenders for the faith, which which means every once in a while we get contentious here. And we're supposed to get contentious here. That's the name of the show. So, but every once in a while we get some good news. And uh, now I'm not talking about LT in the chat room being able to have enough brats to last him every Monday night until fall, okay, every Monday night. See, that that to me is not good news. That's only good news for him. That just makes me hungry, LT. That just makes me hungry and jealous. And I'm not supposed to be jealous, but you make me jealous in the chat room. Folks, you can jump into the chat room at the American Voice Radio uh, .com website and uh, get in the chat room. You, you'll see it. It's a little button on the left. Jump in there, register or don't register. Give yourself a you know a secret name, and um, there you go. And you can jump in the chat room with everybody else that's in there. There's Frank. He's kind of a moderator, so don't don't mess around in there. He doesn't like what you say, man. You're done. There's Italiano too. If I don't like what you say, you can say it anyways. Uh, that's me. And there's LT. That's the guy with the brats. And Andrew and Uncle Nick, the guy who wishes he had more brats. And uh, Manalishi, KJV, Antioch, uh, J, which he he explained why J is at the he said it's initial for his name. And then uh, there's Slimbo and Solo Joe. All right, Solo Joe. So. There you go, folks. That's everybody in the chat room, and now they're talking about turkey meat and pizza and Slimbo's belly is growing. But if, if you're – hey, listen, growling, not growing. It might need to grow. If he, if he lives up to his name, Slimbo, then, you know, probably needs to eat more. I don't know. But uh, his belly is growling, and uh, LT informed us that turkey meat in May comes with fleas, ticks, and lice. And I'm actually going – we're going hunting for turkey. So thanks for being a downer, man. Thanks for being a toner. Anyways, <clears throat> good to have you along with us tonight. We are talking a little bit about um, the vaccines in the first half of the broadcast, and then I kind of brought up some good news. Now, listen, I know that Daryl Waltrip has probably a good chance. He's probably, he's probably not as separated as some of you listeners out there. You know, maybe he's a neo-evangelical, as some would say, kind of a ecumenical man. They say, well, why was he speaking at this national prayer breakfast? Um, well, listen, if you've got the truth, if I had the opportunity, I would go there. I'm just going to tell you that right now. If, if President Obama called me, which he would not, because I'm not big enough, I would never have that opportunity because I'm, I'm a nobody in the grand scheme of things. And, and that's probably a good thing. All right. But if I got invited to this national prayer breakfast, I would go if I was to be able to speak. And the food's got to be spectacular. I mean, if this is a national prayer breakfast, I bet you the food's going to be out of this world. So if anything, just get a free meal. But, uh, you know, um, if I was the speaker, I would have to speak. I could not pass that one up. And people might say, oh, that's ecumenical. Not so. Not if you, you stand up there and you preach up preach the truth, man. You preach the truth. And I've had opportunities like that. I've been able to, I've been able to address uh, charismatic Southern Baptists. I've been able to address, um, I've been able to address uh, banquets where there was drinking going on. They asked me to come up and pray and speak a little. Hey, I'm not going to pass that up. I'm going to give them the gospel and they may wish they had not when it's done, but I'm going to give it to them. 
and Daryl Waltrip did that. I don't know enough about him. I know that he's a Hall of Fame NASCAR driver. I know he's won many races and uh, well-known. And so with that notoriety comes great responsibility, and I'm glad he took the bull by the horns and just let it rip, man. He tore it up. Just these simple words. Uh, Good guys go to hell, and without Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. Now, KJP Antioch in the chat room uh, brought up that um, Obama, he fondly calls him Obozo. Um, I'm going to call him Obama, so that way we know who we're talking about here. Um, But anyway, President Obama got up and then shot um, uh, Daryl Waltrip kind of out of the water. It's a prepared speech, somebody told me, but he did. He knew what he was saying. He can control the speech. But he basically gave credence to the Muslims. Why? Because he is a Muslim. In fact, let me me read what he said here. Um, It says here, let's see – a few individuals' behavior, he said, should not generalize the entire religious tradition. It's not fair, not right. And he added that he was concerned about the bad image Islam was getting. Listen, hey, if you guys got a bad image out there, why don't you fix it? But you don't want to fix it. Oh, there may be a few out there, but you don't want to fix it because you agree, especially if you hold to the Koran. But anyhow, he says, not fair, not right that Islam should have a bad image. <laughs> well, tell him to stop claiming all the terrorist attacks. It's not fair. Yeah. And he added that he was concerned about the bad image Islam was getting. It is a service, he explained, for Muslims to stand up and not be complacent or indifferent in this environment, especially when Islam has such global significance. Muslim faith is about loving everyone. <laughs> Uh, only he could say this and do it as seriously as possibly can. He says, Muslim, Muslim faith is about loving everyone. You know, the funny thing is, is that's what all the other religions say. Well, we just love everybody, you know. And um, and the reason why is because it's, it's about the money. It always has been about the money. He says, Muslim practitioners must extend love toward the entire creation of Allah. And the audience erupts into applause. <laughs> and then, of course, he does his little equivalency thing by suggesting that, you know, Christians killed people too, you know. You guys did it too. No, actually, Christians did not. Roman Catholics did. But regardless of that, I was talking to Frank between the show. He brought up the fact that, yeah, the Muslims did invade Europe, and so the Crusaders come and attack them. Of course, they weren't any more moral than the Muslims were. All right. I went to a Christian school. It was a Baptist school that actually uh, claimed the Crusaders as its uh, mascot. I wouldn't do that. Those guys were filthy vile. They were filthy vile. I don't care if they had a cross on their shield or on their, their, their uh, uh, chain mail. They were filthy vile, just like Constantine was filthy vile. Don't, don't, you, don't you let them fool you about that. When Christians that were killing people, as Roman Catholics that was killing people, and they're not Christians. I don't care how many times they name the name of Christ. The Bible describes it as a false Christ or an antichrist. Say, well, that Obama, I can't believe he did that. Well, you know, and, and MSNBC and Fox News and all the other mainstream media outlets, they all jumped in on the bandwagon against Obama. You know. They all jumped in against him, and, well, you know, he shouldn't have done that. Bad, bad boy, Obama. And they're a bunch of hypocrites. You don't know what Christianity is. <laughs> you don't know. 
All right. Then, of course, he blamed slavery on Christianity, and there were Christians that did hold slaves. But I'm going to say this. If you study your Bible, you'll see that they – that slavery is 90 percent of the time a problem in and of itself. It creates itself by paganism. Paganism creates slavery, and um, nobody wants to talk about that, though. Nobody wants to talk about that. They usually leave that one alone. Like, how about the fact that the African – sold themselves into slavery to begin with, say, well, those white folks, they shouldn't have bought it. Well, you know, they saw a good deal, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I guess they shouldn't have, but hey, the fact of the matter is, is they were sold into slavery by their own people because they're filthy, rotten pagans. Yeah. And now they're living it up in the lap of luxury. There you go. You, you Listen, you guys don't really want to talk about African history. I know it's African History Month, right? But you don't want to talk about that. In fact, if you go over to the African nations now, they're a mess. Most of them are a mess since the white folks left it. They just don't want to admit that. Anyways, let's not get into that. Daryl Waltrip from the Contenders for the Faith radio broadcast, I give you kudos, whatever that means, whatever that's worth. I, just, I give you kudos. I say, good on you, man. Good job. Let it fly. Tell them the truth and don't quit, and don't let the world get to you. There were Buddhists at that national prayer breakfast, and Daryl Waltrip said they were going to hell. There were Muslims there, and he said they were going to hell. There were, um, there were probably Catholics there, and he said they were going to hell. Glory to God. It's about time somebody stood up there and preached the truth. So NASCAR, you just went up a slight notch. A slight notch in my estimation, just a little. I might even look at your scores tonight, maybe. Uh, so, at Mason First Baptist Church, I got a phone call, and a group is running across country right now. And uh, they are, um, let's see here, they, they're running for a charity. I'm not going to mention the charity. It doesn't really matter. Uh, and uh, they called me up, and they, there was connections with some, of the fo- some folks that had been in our church years and years ago. Uh, but uh, they asked if they could stay the night. All they'd have to do, these guys are running on foot across the country. They started in Huntington Beach, California. They're actually running to Washington, D.C. They're going to run through the southern states. Uh, that's a pretty big sacrifice. Now, most of the time when I get homeless people calling me up, I think, yeah, I'm not going to have anything to do with them. And even, even I, I'm very careful about who stays in our church. But for some reason, I just, you know, talking to the young lady, I said, it's just three guys, and it was truly an international crowd. It was. Um, there was a guy from England. There was a guy from New Zealand. There was a woman from uh, Quebec, uh, Canada, another from Toronto, and uh, then one from California, which we consider another country. Um, it just cannot stand the illegal invasion from that side. Oh, I'm at the alien invasion, sorry. Uh, anyhow, um, but uh, I said yes. Yeah, I guess you can sleep on the floor. And our thing, and the more I thought about it in our church here, I decided, yeah, they come. I'm going to try to give them the gospel. Well, these guys were very, very moral people. Very moral. And uh, moral as far as good, kind, sweet, well spoken. Um, uh, You know, I'm I'm not going to really focus too much on the outward appearance. course, they're jogging across country. They're they're camping outside, so their hair was long, their beards were long, and the beards were long, so I gave them a little bit of a point there, kind of looked manly. Uh, But, um, 
you know, I got to have a little bit of a conversation with one of them, and then my wife got to have a conversation. And the conversation went something like this. It was, well, how do you feel? I asked, I asked them a little bit about how they felt about staying in our church. They said, well, we, we don't have a problem with staying in it, but we're not religious. And I told them this, we're not religious either. Because religion is man trying to attain God through their own efforts, folks. That's simply the way it is. And Daryl Waltrip with NASCAR at the National Prayer Breakfast pointed that out. It's just trying to get there by good works or some effort on their own. That is not who we are, folks. That's not what we are. We are not religious. We're not staying faithful because our, our eternity in heaven hinges on it. All right? So I got to talk to him. He says, well, I, I said, I'm not religious. And of course, I'm like, really? Okay, that's great. You know, and I said, we believe. And I told him, but I said, look, I believe religion is just man trying to get to heaven their own way. I said, it's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And he looked at me and says, how do you feel about good people? And I told him this. I said, I have no problem with good people. I love good people because, you know, it's refreshing to see some good people out there. There's a lot of evil out in this world. I said, but I would tell you this. You could be better because goodness in and of itself is simply not good enough. But goodness because of Jesus Christ is. And as soon as I said Jesus Christ, his face fell, and it was as if the conversation was over between the two of us. My wife had a similar conversation with one of the young ladies, a part of the group, and the same thing happened. She said she was open-minded, but when she brought up Christ, it was as if her face fell. And I thought, why, why does it do that to people? Because when you live your life and sacrifice so much, and that's what these folks are doing, they're running across country, folks. Well, I don't even want to run to the grocery store. That's a lot of work across country on foot and camping at night and giving all the charities to all the money to the charities they are being sponsored on to suggest that all of their efforts simply is not impressive in the eyes of God. Yeah, but we're helping people. We're doing good things for people. It's not impressive in the eyes of God to know that good people really do go to hell. Well, that's an affront because you are literally smacking down all of their efforts. That's why the Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When you go to heaven, if you make it to heaven, folks, listen to me, it, there, there, there will be nothing you can say. If you make it to heaven, there's nothing you can say. You cannot say, oh, well, I worked so hard. And Peter said, well, you did a good job. You know, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You know all the jokes and the stories, you know. About pastor riding a skateboard he, as his reward, and two ladies because they were able to answer the right questions and all that. And yeah, folks, that's all foolishness. Heaven is nothing like that. Heaven is not attainable by anything good that you could ever think of. And that includes giving your life for a person, the ultimate sacrifice. And folks, that that is a dividing point. I mean, you try telling a widow who lost her husband in a war, even if it was a just war, even if it was a just war, you try telling a widow, the Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life in John chapter 14, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You tell a widow that her husband, who gave his life for his nation, if he did not believe that Jesus Christ was the only way to get to heaven, 
and even thought for a moment that sacrificing his life would be good enough. Folks, you try telling a widow that, that he might possibly be in hell, you're going to offend somebody. But that is the truth. That is the truth. If you're leaning on anything else for your salvation, he said in Titus chapter 3, verse 15, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There is nothing we can do to be saved. It's all Christ. The only thing we can do is call on Christ for salvation. Ask him to save our soul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Yeah, but I did all of these things. And you know, Christianity has come to the place that they cannot confront the world with that stark, very necessary, important, and dividing point. A good man comes to you and says this, I've done so much. And you look at him and say, it's still not good enough. Say, do you have that in Scripture? Yes. You go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 in your Bibles. And you'll find the story of a good man. A good man in Acts chapter 10. His name is Cornelius of the Italian band. Here is a man who feared God, loved God, gave to the poor. He gave to the poor, and he prayed. You know, I always ask this question. Uh, do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? And they'll say, I pray a lot. I pray a lot. Listen to what the Bible says. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called Italian band, a devout man, a devout
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.